this is going to be another episode of Summoning Insight. We probably actually should, by the way. Here's one area where we have left it too scoffed in the whole media business, is that Richard years and years ago on By The Numbers, like I'm talking like only a couple of years into it, actually figured out like you should essentially, if you want to be jazzy, come up with like a cool like subtext title, you know, like his for, for By The Numbers was like something like, I can't remember, it's like, you know, the premiere Counter-Strike podcast or something. Like, he had some like good tagline as to what it was like, because obviously the problem we have is this. We have all that status and we are the only people with the history, the tenure, the pedigree, like we've even adapted with the times sort of, but we haven't got any bloody line still. We're just like, it's just like, here's Florida Monty talking shit about TSM or whatever the fans would say it is, you know, just making shit up or whatever. Like. But anyway, this episode of us talking shit about TSM and other people and bias and all the rest of it is going to be sponsored by Esports Bet which is obviously the premier eSports odds crypto matrix. See, they know what they're doing there. They have the subtitle. And if you want to place a bet there or you're interested in betting in general, you can get a bonus thanks to us, which is if you use the description box link below here, whether you're on YouTube or Twitch, and use our referral for eSports bet, you get a 50% deposit bonus on up to $200. And as Monty always points out, you can also ask them for free DJT tokens, which is their own token on the site, which you can use for competitions. There's a very big one coming up involving some cut tournaments. You could probably guess if you know CSGO and League of Legends that are going to be involved. Right, anyway, let's start the episode, Monty. It's actually also, technically already begun, but whatever. <laughs> also, uh, we, we have to do this now because we never, ever do this. Follow the Twitch channel and subscribe, guys. Oh, that's true. To the YouTube yes. channel. I know we're terrible about asking you things such as to do it, uh, but yeah, you should do that. You should definitely do that. Here's a good reason, though. Yeah, here's a good reason, though. First of all, as you might have seen, we are like expanding out the number, for example, of YouTube channels we have. Like, we've got a CSGO channel now for Insight and Esports. The current Insight and Esports channel one day will just be the League of Legends one. There may be a future channel that might have other interests that we'll get to when we decide to announce these things. And also... On top of that, just if you notice, we never ask that stuff in the past because at the end of the day, like you're going to find the content anywhere. But in the modern day, there may be a world where we aren't on Reddit one day. There may be a world where YouTube algorithm doesn't always update you. So this is in theory, just make sure you're on everything. Yeah. Hint, hint to your fucking technocratic masters that you would like this form of distraction from the nightmare of modernity rather than, you know, do something about it and free yourself from the fucking slaves of this alchemically driven demonic artifice that is the internet. But if you're going to stay on the demonically driven artifice that is the internet, watch our show. It's the best on there. That's the minimum amount of demonic shit in there. To filter it very particularly, you know. Exactly. Uh, you know, this, this has the least amount amount of uh, exactly. developer paid propaganda within league of legends uh you can also go follow the csgo channel which uh, is brand new so go over there if you're a csgo fan obviously you know the major coming up we got msi coming up got a lot of shows that are gonna be pumping out on both of those channels it's a great time to subscribe to our channels so you do that. might be more legendary bloody csgo talent on our channel than the fucking majors <laughs> broadcast so buckle up for that one i guess uh, yeah. boys fucking yeah. obviously yeah. yeah spoiler uh the the csgo major watch parties might be pretty stacked uh on the old channel considering that the number of people such as sadicist anders yes. moses semler 
Yanko. And here's the difference, Monty. Here's the difference. I will actually update you, Fansal. This is why it's good when you can actually get good partners and sponsors that you can work with and can help you for, like, have the resources to do what you want to do, right? In the past years, when I didn't get hired to majors, Monty, my fans, because obviously a fan only thinks from their perspective and doesn't put themselves in your shoes, they would always go like, oh, well, Thorin, at least no majors club will be banging. And I was like, you are aware I don't get paid any money for that. Like, I would rather have the $15,000 rather than, you know, do the same work for free in a Scuffed. Like, but here's the difference. Actually, we can pay people now, so it actually might be really cool. So I, I even hope one day, wink, hint, hint, nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Maybe this could even be a future avenue, so that we don't all have to sit around with fucking tos playing God with our careers, like DDK and fucking Sean Gares founding Valorant, and now people are finding in League of Legends in LEC. Notice how some of the big names didn't get hired immediately. Now in CS:GO, you're seeing legends of the game who you'll notice, by the way, haven't done anything controversial. They haven't been involved in any of the fucking Twitter threads I get into. They're just people doing the bloody game. But as you're learning, even in theory, the meekest and mildest of the really good talents, they all get the. It's like beatings must continue until fucking morale improves. It's just that scenario it's, again, isn't it? It's okay, Thorin. I'm. <laughs> sure the uh the lec commissioner riot max or whatever his name is is going to oh, make yes. a, another excellent interview explaining why shocks is going to the csgo major instead of msi for riot i'm sure that's that's going to be coming in soon because he already explained to us that it's totally normal to have negotiations for talent go into the season where they don't appear on your broadcast for multiple weeks and there's publicly a publicly known contract issue where you can't come to terms. He told me that that's totally normal, even though, let me think about the times I've seen that in esports in 20 years. Um, never. I've actually never seen that. I've either people go to the event and they start the league on time or they, they aren't there at all. I've in fact never seen a single instance of somebody not showing up for multiple weeks and then showing up again. So, you know, don't let them gaslight you either about what is and isn't normal. Speaking of shocks, she's going to be at the major, turns out. Means yeah. that, that that just overlaps right with MSI. And uh, you can't be in two places at once. So she has officially chosen the major, which I don't blame her. I think it's a much more interesting tournament than uh, MSI overall. But there yeah, you go. Great choice as well. Like, if people don't know, one, one thing I think people in League of Legends have made a big mistake with is this. If, even though Shocks actually has dedicated herself heavily to League of Legends, in fact, I even know, by the way, if people don't know, there's certain other gigs she could have taken along the way that could have get her more money than she makes now. She does it because she also likes League of Legends and esports, and I'm sure working with the same team at LEC and stuff. But what people don't realise is this. Her type of a role host or interviewer i think those people if they work on their skill sets they should be trying to be multi-game because right now you're, that's one of the only ways you can maybe escape some of what i was talking about before when you get caught up in the fucking developer nightmare where you're playing musical chairs and will you be invited this time won't you tell you what it encourages them to invite you a hell of a lot more if they know that you're a rival championship for another big game not only wants them but i'll tell you right now here's a prediction shocks will be incredibly popular in terms of how she is received at this major because not only is there nothing about her on camera persona unless you just hate women basically that would be like mega off-putting like she's not even someone who says anything obnoxious even her jokes are like they're so sort of like sweetly phrased you can't really take them to heart can you you don't really get burned by them that bad like it's, it's so mild like it's just fun for the family and so to me i think she'll actually be mega well received and believe it or not i actually think we need her in csgo if people don't know she's not from csgo but our problem was this the only legendary hosts we had was richard lewis and machine and machine is a caster and richard 
Ghost didn't want to work at the event. He actually turned it down. So the problem was, we have some really good other people, like Freya, one day will probably be what Shocks is. But she's only a couple of years in her career. She has to last a... This yeah, is going to be a first major on the desk. So I actually think, by the way, this is even a, a way better way to do it. Have Shocks as like the super vet who has all the professional skill set. Then have the endemic person who wants to learn that skill. By the way, who better to learn that from the bloody shadow of Shocks? Look what she's doing and learn how she deals with the issues. You can even, on the hand, even ask her all questions like, what do you do when they don't throw something to me in my ear or what, what when they don't have a package ready? So I think that this is going to be great for everyone in CSGO. And if you're from League, look, yeah, it sucks a little bit, but like MSI was a fairly scuffed tournament anyway. The premise, I don't think, even really works as you all come from bloody different regions. And then you pretend to know everything about like the LPL and tell me like Gala's the best player in the world because idiot double if saw one clip on his bloody core stream. So I, I actually like the idea that we're going to have people in the other games. And for MSI as well, by the way, spoiler, that gives them a chance there too. Like, I'm actually very interested in that angle, money Because no one actually, the penny never dropped for any people, aside from that guy I told you about on the watch party, who told me that, like, don't get used to Shucks too much because you'll be at MSI. And I was like, oh. <laughs> oh, oh, poor boy. Yeah, spoiler, Someone's we kind of knew this was happening for a long time. <laughs> Wait, here's what I'm wondering about, though. If there is no Shucks, though, that opens the door wide open for that fucking MSI, mate. But here's my issue. I want to ask you this. Do you think that means they just put Dash to it there? Yep. Do you think Law gets a bomb pop? How do they do it? What do you think they do? Just quick I shot think, come in. How do, you, how do they manage it, do you think? I think Dash, you know, usually at, at international events, it's still mostly Dash hosting the desk at Riot, like for League of Legends. And then they have like Shocks doing more interviews or, you know, segment hosting or that kind of stuff. So I imagine they just use Lore for that, frankly. Um I, I think they're running it out of the Berlin studio again. So even though the event is in Korea, it's my understanding that they're going to be moving everybody from around the world over to Germany in order to broadcast okay, that's the cool, event at least. from there. Okay. Uh, so everybody, as far as I know, everybody should be on site for that. Um, but yeah, I think they'll probably just use Dash if I had to guess. And then Lore, because she's already in Germany. <laughs> so yeah, I think that'll be it. I don't think there's any like big surprises coming out in terms of MSI talents, kind of just who you expect. But I do think we should talk about MSI more broadly because holy shit, Thor. And I mean, there's two, there's two issues here. First off is that we have to, we have to watch apparently all of the best teams, like in the major regions, absolutely shit on minor region teams for like several days in a pointless group stage where the top teams in the major regions should just be seeded into the second stage and have the minor regions fight it out for the last two slots, in my opinion. Because watching T1 beat up on Saigon Buffalo, if they can even go, frankly, we don't even know the status of the VCT team, uh, Detonation Focus Me and the Latin American team, Team Ace, is seems like not fun to, to, to watch. What if I was to increase the latency by 35 milliseconds? Would, would that win you over? Uh, oh, that would be worse. Because, by the way, that whole topic, I can't believe that was... That really was just a storm in a teacup to Vans, you know? They don't think that was a big deal that we're playing on 35 ping. Yeah, it's like, What I can't believe is how many people agree with the premise... That it's like this is what I can't get, Monty. You know, I always go to pains whenever I talk about something to do with rules, or like if someone asks you the question, you know, what should be done. You notice I always try to outline what my abstract principle is on it, and then what like the practical application that would be in the real world. So I'll give you an example. There are certain cases where maybe actually I think like in principle you shouldn't do this, but in practicality, maybe it's the only thing, way to make it work right. My problem is this: everyone else just skips straight to the pragmatism and they then just become an 
negotiating where they end up just finding a way to rationalize what happens is good. So I saw so many people, dude, who use this logic. Well, since LPL is one of the best regions, if not the best, and at this tournament, due to the format, you only tend to have two elite teams because you have the LPL and the LCK team. If you don't have the LPL team compete on equal ground, then the tournament is worse. You know what? You're absolutely right. But here's the problem with that. You notice how many subjective assumptions were built yep. into that that have nothing to do with the rules. <laughs> what you actually just did there, by the way, here's the actual abstract rule that we're putting in place here. If we're a sport, you're agreeing that if any region can't attend the event, we'll play online. And if, as long as it's under, let's, I'll be fair, I won't say it's anyone, but let's say it's under 50 ping, we'll all do this. So that means, by the way, the principle has to apply. If next event... The events in China and Korea can't attend. We have to do the same thing. I'm sorry. But you know what? It gets worse, boys. We have to do it for PCS. We have to do it for any region. Any region. Now, here's the problem. You almost immediately know they wouldn't do that for any other region except maybe Korea and... Um, maybe if it was in NA, they'd let NA do it if they were trapped. Or I don't know. That's about it. That's even that's questionable. I think a lot of it's just the Chinese broadcast, quite frankly. Here's, so it, the problem with this is, right, it's just WWE if what you're really saying is, and I get it. Look, I really want the LPL to have a chance to win. Look, I do as well, but not at the, not at the fucking... Not, I wouldn't sacrifice the rest of the tournament. Like, the one part I can't rationalise is this, Monty. Even when they're not playing the LPL, they have to play on the 35MS. That is just... That's like some absurd Monty Python sketch, mate. What are we doing at this point in time, you know? <laughs> well, it, it's it's worse than that, though, because we have to look at the reasons why the Chinese, yes. like this is even it's happening. what we were talking about in the past so, episodes. So yeah, this, yeah. Is, this is why it's so ridiculous. And we're going to get into the Asian games because now Koma, the coach of the Korean team, has resigned because it's such a oh, fucking clown fiesta yes. over there, which we will yes. go into. I will give you guys the, <laughs> yes. the insider information on like what's going on and like Kespa and all this other bullshit that's happening. But here's the thing, guys. The Asian games has actually just ruined a lot of League of Legends this year, okay? Now, remember that the LCK Finals was earlier than it normally is because they needed this time that we're in right now in order to get the team, the official team together for Korea and play the Asian game qualifiers prior to MSI. Now, the qualifiers are going to happen before MSI. The Asian games themselves happen in September, or maybe not. We'll get into that. Are supposed to, itself right before are, Worlds. Are supposed to happen in September in Hangzhou, oh, in China, right before the way, Worlds in September. By the way, don't go to Twitter and type in Hangzhou, China right now. You're not going to like the videos you see, boys. <laughs> We're supposed to be there in that many months. Fuck. Just go. Do go there, to Twitter. It's going to be wild. There, I'm telling you right look, now. Look, Thorin, there are already rumors from the, like, the French-associated press and the uh, that this event may not even happen in September. No, it could not. Here's why. All, all they need is they just need Sean Connery and Nicolas Cage and then they'll break us all into the event in hang you see the joke I'm doing there The Rock look up the movie The Rock there you go <laughs> so anyway right, so the, in, okay so now there are event brewers that this might not even happen which is going to make this even more of a clown fiesta but to, but to roll back okay uh, the Asian games are being prioritized. It's why the LCK, we, it's why we couldn't delay the finals to like play matches when players didn't have COVID or, you know, all of these other reasons, reasons. Uh, now the Asian games are important to the Korean players because if they win, if they win the gold medal, if they win first place, which they did not last time they played, China won, they will be exempt from military service, which is obviously important to the game because then we get star players with a long, you know, more career longevity. Yes. So there is actual value. But the problem is and it's how huge for Casper, obviously. They want Korea to be number one, of course. Right. Yeah. But the problem is, is like yeah. you have to get number one. And at what cost are you going to get it? Because right now, to me, the cost is too high. And China 
here's the other thing. The Chinese government wants them to play in Hangzhou in the Asian Games, which are like the Asian, it's, it's basically like the Asian only Olympics. Yes. It's run by the Olympic Committee. So they are prioritizing the Asian Games. Now, the problem with this, guys, and we've mentioned it on the show before, is that this is not in the best interests of the actual leagues that operate the sport. And this is another issue with developers and the Chinese government having too much of a hand within the scene. We mentioned this earlier. When the NHL earlier this year had a COVID outbreak, they had to delay games. That delayed Those delayed games prevented NHL players from going to the Olympics because they had to make up games during the Olympics. So the Olympics were secondary to the league that the players are contracted to. Like, it's the same, by the way, normally is, in the NHL. Like, for example, when they have that world championship constantly, right? There have been years, Monty, where some of the teams that knew their player would go all the way to the Stanley Cup final. They just, he just doesn't go. Sometimes they don't represent their country. Like, because in that scenario, it's like you're saying, look, it's cool to represent my country. This guy's paying me like $20 million. Like, I'm going yeah. to play for that guy, you know? Like, but, but what do you want? <laughs> it is insane. Like, if this is a sport, then the players have to play to, for the teams that pay them. They are not getting paid to go to the Asian Games, guys. It is not in the team's best interest, the teams that paid the franchising fees to riot in order to be in these leagues for them to go to these Asian Games because that exposure doesn't get them any money. It doesn't get the teams any sponsorship value, right? And if they're going to truncate the entire LPL season and the new rumor is they're going to play an entire split of like four best of threes a day, over a four-week period just to make the Asian game. Shit! They're going to do the LPL split in four weeks. Yeah, that's the rumor. Four oh, to five yeah. weeks. That is the rumor. And so the problem is, is that the Chinese team, if they were to leave China because okay, of the was... current spike in COVID, they would have to two-week quarantine on the way back. But there's so many questions you can ask here. First off, if the Chinese government wants the team to go wants players to go to the Asian games, why can't they create the same government that forces them to quarantine? Why can't they create a quarantine situation where they can play LPL games remotely from quarantine? That seems entirely doable when the government wants both, both of these things to occur. Right, give them some special exemption conditions that you know maybe you're allowed to like have some with you. Or just, or just give them a PC that. and a good, decent internet connection and quarantine. Like, you, they can still do the quarantine in a government facility. So there are all these questions about why this can't happen. But what is clearly going on here is that the Asian Games are being prioritized, and it's because the Chinese government and Riot. The developer want more exposure for the game itself, and they want to have players at this Olympics event, but it comes at the cost of their own leagues. And this is the problem. Like, Riot and developer-run sports cannot decide whether they want to be a real fucking sport, like the NHL, or if they want to be a marketing exercise. And I'm so sick of seeing them be marketing exercises and not actually have the stories and the importance of the literal leagues the players are paid to play in be run properly and be run with competitive integrity. And it goes to MSI too, where obviously it's a business decision from Riot because if the Chinese team doesn't play, they will lose 80% of their viewership. And then they're going to have to report publicly what that viewership was, or it will just be reported publicly naturally uh, by the sites that track this information. And they're going to have to explain to the sponsors that they sold for MSI and Worlds, because they sell these things in multi-year package deals a lot of the time, why, this, why the viewership dropped by an extraordinary amount. And they're not going to do that. Now, I think the fairest way to do this is, sure, let the LPL team play. They play on ping. 
That's their problem. You, they are creating a Absolutely. scenario. Yep. The Chinese government is creating a scenario where apparently it is impossible for this team to leave the country and play on land and because they want to prioritize the Asian games. There has to be a price for that and it can't be a price paid for by the other teams. Think of this, Monty. This is where people have skipped the step and it's why it's fucking up their logic because they're taking the first part you just said where it's like they can't attend the event and then they're just going, right, well, we'll let them play online. So you've already given them a concession. No other team's allowed to play online. Everyone else has to go to the event, by the way. By the way, yeah, just... The team couldn't play Worlds online. Even if they play on 35 ping and no one else does, just letting them play while they don't have to attend is already giving them a special dispensation. As Monty says, to then just punish everyone else is just giving China even more advantage. They don't get to have an advantage. They can't attend the event. There's no other event in history I'm aware of where one set of people are allowed to remotely fucking... It's like I said on the watch party. It's a fucking LAN. That means local area network. This is a WAN. It's the internet. It's a wide area network coming from China over to bloody like Korea in this case somewhere like it's fucking mental mate and then the other thing i have a problem with this as well this is why it isn't just a cute piece of trivia that tencent has connections to the chinese communist party this oh i wonder why now when china is the main country involved monty they might be prioritizing nationalistic interests of their country over the integrity of checks notes the children's video game that that company oper give me a break guys does no one see how that oversight might end up and, fucking up baseball so it's going to do more things in the future we'll get and, ready and here's for it. the other thing because the developer is the one involved there's another key piece of information here why riot probably wants to play nice with the chinese government right now because valorant still hasn't been released in china it hasn't been approved right. for okay. release yet um now oh because people... you weren't allowed to release new games yeah that was right yes so they have released a new wave of games early you know, just a couple weeks ago but guess what wasn't in there it was Valorant. And so there is rumors, there are rumors that there is going to be another release of video games that are approved for Chinese for China by the Chinese government later this year. And they're people, smart. They'll have even made that the back child condition, wouldn't they? You have to do this and therefore we'll put Valorant in the next batch as well, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it, it might, right? it's certainly even if there even if there isn't an agreement in place, because we couldn't possibly know, yeah, of course. why would Riot do anything to jeopardize that from occurring? Why would they do that? That is that is potentially like billions of dollars of revenue. So there I mean, are you don't have any evidence. But what if Riot had like a plant that was like sitting on like a sofa behind the Tencent people while they had an informal conversation? That would count as uh, evidence in court. Well, my it's another in joke if people don't get it. But yeah, <laughs> <the> like <deep> law. <laughs> the deep floor. But yeah, this is like this is a real concern because it is. if you're right, yeah. you need Valorant and potentially other future games you want to yeah, release. Yeah. So you have Absolutely. to be on good terms with the Chinese government. Um, so, you know, these are all really big issues that Riot's facing, but this is why we can't have the developers. There needs to be a layer between the developer and the esport to actually, you know, protect competitive integrity and turn this from some to a sport from a marketing exercise. And what's so egregious about this, Thorin, is like all of the people for, for years, you know, at Riot are just like, well, traditional sports this, traditional sports that. But they don't treat their own fucking game oh, like no. a traditional sport. They treat it like a marketing exercise. Yes. So they're 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 constantly violating competitive integrity in these angles and prioritizing weird shit that has nothing to do with sports. And I guarantee you these same people, if traditional sports were doing the same kind of marketing tricks, would, would be outraged that it's happening in their favorite sport or to their favorite team. It's, it's absurd. And, you know, this with MSI, 
Like there are solutions to it. And you just have to say the Chinese team plays at a disadvantage in this scenario because you can't punish everybody for a scenario that not everybody created. Like if LPL wants to run themselves this way, then let them do it. And you know, also think about this, spin it the other way. So everyone's thinking again about the LPL side, Monty. So they're trying to think or think how fair it'll be to be on 35 when they're on zero. How, think about being the Koreans playing your whole fucking career on five ping. And then you go to an international tournament, you will be judged on in your career and have to play seven times the ping. That is stupid as fuck. That is stupid as fuck. There is no good reason anyone has yet come up with as to why they would have to play and, on 35 ping. And there is no interesting debate about this because, again, it's a monopoly. Like, you know, we've had this conversation a million times. The ghost L uh, commissioner of the LCK, where is this person? It is this person's job to fight in the interests of their team and to do it in a way that makes sense. Nope, not a peep out of them, right? Because it's all done under the glorious overlord of a global system. And so we can't even have people uh, doing their best to represent the interests of their region. Like, this way, should be a public debate between people, you know, within these different leagues. Yeah, yeah. Since you mentioned, I think, on the last episode, actually, this also does tie into... You nailed it, mate. Because, spoiler, we're not fucking guessing. We know Riot Games. We know what they will do. They are predictable to a painful degree. Oh, what do you know, Monty? The LCS finals came along. Did Riot even set in their Google calendar it is the 10-year anniversary of LCS? <laughs> no, of course not. Of course not. So what they did instead, Monty, was they ran the LCS finals. And even though they had, like, a team trying to repeat as champions would only be something like, what, the fourth time in history someone's ever done that as an org. Maybe fifth, let me think, Cloud9, TSM, Team Liquid, CL no, the fifth, fifth time someone had gone back to back. That's a pretty historic accomplishment. Didn't have anything about that, of course. AG's there with all rookies. Nothing to do with that, of course. But we've got Tyler One again, seeing people's names on stage. And do we have anything about 10 years? Do we have all the legends coming out? Do no, no, it's all about Tyler One and we've got a crowd. We're just, it's just WWE, mate. But the difference is, WWE is really good at making their fucking product and the broadcast. Like, there's a reason why that was legendary. The actual things that they do that are WWE in LCS are just fucking humdrum, mate. They're not even that interesting. That's why it's so sad to me. Because like I've always said, to me, if I could go back in time, I sort of had this vibe anyway, but I know it for sure now. If I could go back in time, you could have all the same players and teams. You just got to make it about the attitude of the players. Like, yeah. think about what you could have done with the double lifts of the world back in the day. You, look, I mean, even Jojo Pian's like at least talking shit on Twitter now. Yeah, like, true. And here's true. a here's use of Tyler One. Why don't you cut some promos with Tyler One interviewing the players and having them talk mad shit and play those? That, that would be a great idea. That would actually be incredibly entertaining. Yeah. Excellent use of Tyler One. But they don't do that. You know, Tyler, it's not Tyler One's fault. Like he did his job. It's just that the job use it, was boring. I'll give you the angle. Here's how you do it. You do it like I do on my talk shows. If people don't know, a real premise that I figured out years ago in interviews is if I'm really rude, the other person can be three quarters as rude and they don't look as bad, but they've actually, in isolation, said something pretty edgy. And yeah. it, so I saw I'm the flack that allows them to do it. Right? You just All take the aggro. <laughs> you just tell Tyler One, you sort of instigate, but we'll make it really obvious. So, for example, if, if you say to like George up here, what do you think of Bjergsen or whatever? And he's like, well, he is a good player. You're like, he's not better than you now, though, right? He's like an old boomer. He's like, well, yeah, I guess he isn't that good. Yeah, and plus, you know, he used to have his tech. That's what you do. You have him instigate like that. But then I even think it'd sort of make it so that, like, people wouldn't be mad at the player for talking shit. Because, like, you're just in Tyler One's world there, aren't you? You're in his zone of just bantering. So you could even do it really effectively, actually, if you did that approach. Yeah. But it was so generic instead. 
And we didn't see anything about the 10 year history of the LCS, which is, you know, again, we we asked, are they going to do something like LCK did, which showed the entire history of the league and and was like a major callback to it. And no, you know, there's nothing. Um, Yeah, it's disappointing because I think there the the LCS really, you know, falls on its face in terms of telling its own story. And that still isn't an issue that has even been remotely fixed. They didn't even try and address it at all. Maybe in summer, maybe it'll happen in summer, but just seems like a missed opportunity for sure. Um, And then there's the other issue too, which is that at this event, there was the MSI group draw in which what was was very interesting about this was they brought in Lily Pichu, who's like an OG lol content creator as you know, was in the scene at the very beginning. Um, Some guy I don't know from offline TV. Um, And we found out, you know, later on, it was interesting because on the LPL Weibo account, they posted a picture of Doublelift and Meteos together for the group draw. These are graphic assets that had been made specifically by Riot. Um, looks like LPL didn't get the memo that Doublelift wasn't going to be on that uh, going to be on that group draw. It's very very interesting. Uh, if I had to guess, I would say that it probably had something to do with the comments he made about Upset's wife and Upset, you know, leaving the World Championship, which I think were callous. Uh, to put it's it the mildly. thing, guys. I'm actually one of the few people ever who can put himself in the position of simultaneously roasting Double for this while acknowledging I understand why it's stupid. Because guess what? You know how you'd think to yourself, come on, Double Lift. Surely you're not going to trash talk something that happened that was very sensitive in an international riot event right before they're going to hire you for a riot event. But as someone who trash talked the country of Poland hours before flying there, mistakes <laughs> can happen. I can tell you, we can, we can put a foot wrong every now and then. But I will say the consequences will absolutely be the same. Double lift, you right. can take that roast. And, and, and so here's 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 the thing, guys, that happened. So double lift is sponsored by Grubhub, by the way. This whole tournament. Uh, you know, the LCS finals was sponsored by Grubhub. So I think what happened, this is pure supposition. So I am, I am open to being corrected. I think that what happened was Doublelift was supposed to do this, go there because he was at the finals. He was streaming from the finals, which we'll get to in a second. Uh, But I think he was supposed to go there and like do the MSI group drop for free as part of his, his Grubhub deal. And then he said the stuff about upsets. He basically, uh, you know, implied that uh, upsets upset left worlds for not a very good reason which then caused upset to and upset's wife to have to uh defend defend themselves basically publicly when basically you know i think that at all was kind of water under the bridge at this point in time it had more or less passed over the event and people were understood that you know, it shouldn't come out like this is probably a serious issue. Spoiler, guys, no real competitor goes to Worlds and then bounces three days before the tournament starts and leaves his team high and dry and leaves the opportunity to play for Worlds unless it's probably pretty serious. It's also and- the first Worlds he'd ever been to, dude. Like, yeah. people. And by the way, this is the part I can't handle. If you ever go back, Monty, don't ever let them gaslight you. They'll gaslight you. They all will. They'll all tell you that he just sort of left with no explanation. In the fucking statement by Riot... Uh, fanatic on their Twitter, it says the words something like urgent family matter. Yes. The idea that anyone goes, 
but I have to know exactly what. Otherwise, I might speculate. It's not an urgent matter. You're a piece of shit. Like, by yeah. the way, Nemesis, you're a piece of shit. Doublelift, you're a piece of shit. Adam, you're a piece of shit. You don't need to know what the urgent family matter yeah. is. All you have to know is it is an urgent family matter. And by the way, based on what I heard, it was. Like, I would yeah. put it this way, I would leave if I heard that scenario happen to me. I would leave 100%. No matter, even if I'd never been in the world, even if I, because at the end of the day, it was a scenario. Here's the key part about the urgent family part. The alternative of playing the video game tournament with not going back would age very poorly in your life. Yes. Let me put it that way. Yes. <laughs> you yeah. wouldn't look back and go, oh, glad I did do the tournament. Yeah, yeah. What if I had, you know, <laughs> do the way around, you idiot. Yeah. And it was obviously really <laughs> shitty. I'm sure yeah, of course. still feels very bad about leaving his team in that scenario. Like, it sucked for everybody. Um, but the alternative was worse, uh, as far as we know. And we have to leave it to the judgment of people at Fnatic and the coaching staff and the ownership there that this was the right call to make and upset that this was the right call to make. And he doesn't have to go out and defend himself. So this is oh, all to say. Not. This is all to say, guys. What is strange is that so there are very strict uh, code of conduct reasons uh, or like rules for co-streaming with Riot. We saw Dom get banned for who knows True. why. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Some comments he made in solo queue. Uh, allegedly. It was a um, reach. If people don't remember, I'll give you the very brief update. Basically, Dom famously flamed someone by, I think it was something like they just didn't gank or something, or like come roam to his lane. And so he just said something like, what were you doing? Pol like painting your nails over there. And he just obviously meant it as like a fucking sarcastic way of being like, you're just wasting your time. And because the person who was playing the game turned out to be a woman, which Dom had no way of knowing that. It's not like he's on your bloody OPGG, is it? Like, is a woman. They tried to imply that he was saying to paint your nails because he's sex. Like, it was such a reach, it's insane. And that got him removed from wall streaming. And people don't remember, there's a real video where he's in tears because they've taken his fucking livelihood from him just because of that fucking comment. Like, so you can imagine, that's how tenuous they've taken other people's and, and like, what was the and thing, we don't, we don't, We don't know because Riot doesn't announce the reasons behind it. They don't oh, announce the no reasons behind this band. Yeah, exactly. they, didn't, they don't tell yes. anybody the evidence. Like, so they just do it and you're just kind of sitting there being like, I don't even know why this fucking happened. Yeah. So let, let's just continue. Doublelift is allowed to co-stream the finals this weekend because he has 30,000 viewers on his stream. How is he able to do that after getting removed from the MSI group draw, but he's not removed from co-streaming for creating a hate brigade against somebody, a, another professional player in Europe's wife? Like, what the hell is this standard that they have going on here? You know, I actually thought Riot would... I, I thought they would just remove him because they can't show any kind of, uh, you know, negative press surrounding women right now, given their hundred million dollar settlement and the fact that they're up shit Creek without a paddle. But like, why, why is Doublelift like allowed to continue co-streaming with the standard they've already set? And it's the same thing as the China stuff, guys. It's the same thing as the MSI stuff. It's because they want this viewership and they are making business decisions that are incongruous with the rules that they have set forth and with the integrity of the sport. Oh, Period. Absolutely. Yeah, especially because to me, like, look, everyone knows my position. I'm generally just a free speech absolutist. Like, I don't think you should be removed for these things. Listen, if, you, if you're willing to own it, like if you just come out and say, I don't want negative PR on that topic, that's a reason to remove someone. But in this case, Riot does what Riot always does. They pretend on the one hand, they're some objective moral arbiter. But then on the other hand, they clearly in, in act in an incredibly subjective, petty way that's just around their own interests, which even means, by the way, sometimes they'll go against what 
what they've pretended is wrong previously because it benefits them now. So in this scenario, all they've done there is a super cynical fucking odds way up of like, which is better, worse than PR from double lift or having double, and they've just decided to take double lift for the thing now. Like, I, I would even say there's some cynical fucking PR guy who will have gone, look, if we just take him off the finals, that'll be enough time for it to cool down. It'll be forgotten about by the time that, you know, like, it'll be one of those bastards who like figures out how many days it takes a story to die or something, you know. Yeah, and for the record, by the way, I don't think either Dom or Double Lift should be removed. Neither of them should be removed. That's listen, my opinion. I don't think listen. it was that bad. But I'm just saying, like, if he's going to yeah, get yeah. if 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 what happened to other people in the past, you know, is, if this is their if this is their stance, and they're going to be this strict about it, and also they're going to remove him from the MSI group draw for this reason, it seems crazy that they're still going to have him, you know, actually show yeah, up. Of course. Here's the thing. <laughs> Beyond the co-stream. Double lift didn't say anything wrong. As in, he didn't say any profanity. You know, just, he didn't break the terms of service. All he did was he was an asshole. Now, yep. you know what the repercussion of being an asshole is? People go, I don't like what you said. You're an asshole. There, that's what would happen. Yep. So there'd be some people. Because the other thing as well, by the way, is I saw people, man, the amount of like gymnastics trying to defend those double F comments was mental, mate. Like, as I said, in the official original statement, it says urgent family matter. And he was still himself months later going, I find those jokes just hilarious. Like, <laughs> what, people have an urgent family? And then people, Monty, this is what actually drove me nuts. There was people for real contacting me saying, well, surely Doublelift can say that because he played after his family emergency. That's not how that works, dickhead. I can't just go out, by the way, Monty, and take an insane beating from some guy outside a bar and then go, well, it's all right for someone to beat the shit out of you. Happened to me last week. What the fuck are you talking about? You are aware, by the way, that was, that was never to be spun that way. It should never have been that if Doublelift had not attended that event, he was an idiot. It's the other way around. It's totally fine if he hadn't attended the event. He was heroic, potentially, for attending the event and winning. That's epic. No one else is expected to do that though and also by the way totally different scenario like here's the difference notice this key distinction i'm going to make here the person unfortunately would have had the horrible outcome in double lift scenario whether he attended or didn't attend the finals this was a scenario where upset had a chance to change things he had a chance to actually uh, like actually potentially fix the problem in the moment that's a totally different situation i think you're making light of it if you even bring up the double lift situation and also i'd add in there as well it's like i'd go the other way on that one and go double lift can't you have some compassion mate I'd go the other way. Shouldn't you be the guy who gets like the idea that could be extenuating circumstances? That's the angle I found a bit heartless. It's well, like, it's also, you even were a pro. What the fuck? Also, fans, it's not the fucking pain Olympics where you're trying to get a gold medal. No, exactly. Like, you fucking idiots. <laughs> so anyway, this, this whole scenario, uh, uh, th this whole scenario caused kind of this last minute change where we have these major influencers come in. So I make a tweet saying like, well, the riot, remember going back to the shocks thing, apparently there was some sort of contract dispute. We know that because it was said publicly. Yes. Right. Um, now riot casters have no way to negotiate right now because they have riot has a monopoly on league of legends. So they have nowhere else to go. So riot has them all kind of bent over a barrel at the moment because they've taken all of the broadcasts in-house. They've organized themselves in a way where they can just set the rates um, for basically every region as well as the international events. And so I said, like, it's crazy that they're going to pay these influencers, these people with millions of followers on YouTube and Twitter and social media to come in to promote their event and to promote MSI, and they can't pay the casters. To which Lily Pichu responds to me and says that they're not getting paid. Which, what I loved about that is the way people thought that was a dunk on Monty. You are aware these people make thousands streaming from their home on the internet. They just admitted, like, I don't even know my own business. So I'm just doing it for free. Lol. 
It's like, that's even worse. That's <laughs> so, worse. Holy so people, shit. People, people like accuse me of flip-flopping because my, my be point was, 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 my point was the caster should be paid more and that they should be using money to pay influencers to pay the caster. And then like, obviously I still think influencers should be paid to do the work. And I think they should be compensated appropriately. The whole point oh, is now nobody's getting compensated appropriately. <laughs> Guys, good job. You defended the multi-billion dollar company. Nice work. Like they basically got two people to come in and do this for free. In 2022, I have been stamping out systematically. Here you go. Here's a history of Riot asking people and getting them to do things for free. 2013 World Championship, they tried to get me to do it for free by telling me it was on my OGN contract when that was full of shit. They lied to me and they only paid me $3,000 to do every single desk for every single game for the entire World Championship. Not a day total, guys. So I got paid like 15 bucks an hour. Anyway, moving on, we have the other thing. That same World Championship, they lied and they told Doublelift and Crepo that it was part of their player contract. So at that the time, they had, they had stipends of $25,000 a year that were paid to the teams. They lied to Doublelift. They lied to Crepo. They got them both to do it for free every single game at the World Championship. Then, later on, once they started paying people, they would bring in pro players for a day, an entire day, and not pay them to do analysis work at the studio. I broke that story. Guess what? They started playing. Now, when you see a pro player on the analyst desk for an entire day, guess what? They're getting paid which is great, but they're still in 2022 using people with massive influence and not paying them. They, I, this is so ridiculous. And there is no argument that this is exposure for these people because these people are already huge, huge influencers, right? The, the fact that Riot can announce them and draw their fans into the game provides more value for Riot oh, than it does for, sure. for these people. And they yeah. should absolutely get paid for this, right? So it's so ridiculous that this is still happening. Like, how can this happen? And you know what else? You can say, well, it's their right to do it for free. But here's the knock-on effect of this. If Riot can get major influencers to do work for free, the casters you like has no leverage in negotiation. They have no leverage because the best thing that could happen is that these people take a lot of money, like I'm sure Tyler One did, and the casters go and they say, well, you paid Tyler One like $100,000 to do this event or whatever he got paid. Probably something in that ballpark, by the way, given the loss of streaming time. Totally, yeah. yeah I mean, that's pretty reasonable, actually, for somebody of Tyler One's you know, fame and stature within the community that to, you know, to do the original promo, to take, take a day off and do this event. Um, it, it would be expensive. Um, and he deserves that money. He deserves that money. Uh, but the point is, is like, if these people are getting paid, then the casters can say like, well, I bring a lot of value to this broadcast as well. And so, you know, like I, I it's, it's just inexplicable that this is happening and that people, it, people at Riot think that this is okay. They think it's okay to go talk to influencers and say, Hey, can you come by and do this for free for us? Can we can we use your name to promote our our company our multi billion dollar company and not pay them and it's still it's it's shocking that this is still happening and I imagine that it happened because they were in a bind because of the whole double lift scenario again I assume that's how things went down but it seemed like a kind of last second addition and there had to be a reason for that and so they just decided to you know somebody arrived so I just call in a favor um, but that's that's obviously unacceptable. Dude, the craziest thing about the story you said from like season three worlds where Doublelift and Kreppel were doing it for free is it's worse than that. Because if people don't remember, this is where having my memory is a fucking blessing, boys. So the year after that, you might remember that when Doublelift wanted those players like Darshan 
Zion Spartan at the time from Dignitas. He got fined for poaching them, didn't he? You remember that story where he poached Scara and like some of the players as well. And not only Doublelift, but I think Hotshot as well or someone got fined. I think Scara even got fined because he was like technically in Dignitas at the time and then he came over. Right, that means they told Doublelift, oh, by the way, this works part of your contract anyway. Then the next year, fined him like 2K out for 25K contract for something he did wrong. Like these guys are scum. That's mental. Like, they actually just don't care about pe the players making their own money. That's so mad to me. That's so mental. It's why I told people, like, unfortunately, this is the real... This is why Monty actually sucks trying to fix problems in esports. Because they're not problems. People intentionally created these systems to benefit yep. themselves. So all you can do is this, and we've done this for so many years now, it's getting boring, mate, is we get ahead of a problem before it fully has happened. We make such a stink about it on a show or social media or Reddit back in the day that something gets changed. Never what should be. It's always like a mild compromise. And then people get to go, huzzah, progress. And they don't realize that wouldn't even have happened if we hadn't wasted our time. Like you are aware, by the way, guys, if we only wanted to make our money from media, we should just let all this stuff happen. We should wait till after this shit with the Asian games. And then we should just do the episodes where we criticize it and explain how shit it is and how wrong they are. And how they don't. That's how we gain the maximum. That's the way you should do it. Whereas instead what we're doing is we're trying to sort of push the needle a little bit by getting the information out there. But I, th I actually think in a fucked up sense, it might not even be the best long-term approach because the second we aren't there, mate, that ground will all just be ceded back to the enemy. I've seen the way it happens. Like the, it's happened in my native game of CSGO, Monty. There are people who were the number one commentators in CSGO for a whole couple of years who were getting paid less than they would have paid me if I'd have gone and done the event as a one-off. And we're talking about the biggest TOs in the world. Now, the reason why that happened Monty is because the people who got carved out all that space who did the the fucking the the fucking pillage raids into the enemy territory who get all the similar who made the encampments they are they left they weren't hired anymore and gradually the ground got ceded back to the TOs and I can tell you in Riot's game especially like now that they've got Valorant as well and I noticed they're dangling some talent between the two they're right back to their old game, mate. They're all back on the fucking hot seat. I don't think, unfortunately, like long-term progress will come within the system. That's why we're trying to do our shit outside of it now, if people don't know. Because there's only so far you can push it internally, you know. I mean, there's just no point because there's no financial future within there casting isn't. these games. Like, that's just, it's just true. Well, like, it's not to be a big guy. You can be a smaller guy maybe and be part of their team. But you, the key thing, if you haven't noticed about Riot, and they've been consistent with this the whole time, Monty, is no matter what you do, you will never be bigger than Riot in any context. Which is mental, by the way, because if you think of any great sport, it's the opposite. Every single great sport is transcended by the greatest players. Wayne Gretzky, Muhammad Ali, fucking Pele. Then you think of the commentators immediately, Monty. You think of the great John Madden, all these these people come instantly off the top of the head. The joke in league is, and they'll succeed with this eventually, because there will have been so much turnover. People won't have like a, a rush more of like Monty, Jack, Papa. So it'll be like by the end, it'll be like, oh, who was even doing the events? Like, I guess Captain Flowers and was Corby there? Like people won't even remember. There won't be any through line. It, it is it is very important to have these through lines because if you are a traditional sports fan, so here in Los Angeles, uh, you know, Vin Scully is a legend who is the the announcer at, at Dodger Stadium for the L.A. Dodgers. Oh, baseball, and he, yeah, he did it for like 50 years. And so these people become just a trove of stories and information oh, and like yeah. a living embodiment of the team and, and of the sport. And. If you want to really make a sport that people care about, these people are very, very important to you. And they're just, I mean, it's the same thing right now that you see with Tasteless and Artosis. Like, 
Starcraft would die if Tasteless and Artosis left. No one would give a shit anymore. Um, they are single-handedly, or I guess dual-handedly with both of them, propping it up still to this day so that fans can can experience this, and they have a legacy that stretches all the way back into Brood War at this point in time. Even the Korean broadcast still has Cloud Templar, you know, a player who's been there from the beginning. Everybody loves Jun Young Jun, caster, you know, the caster, the hype guy that you see all the time, who also stretches back to Brood War. They, they love... Um, you know, Kim Dong-joon, who's one of the old analysts who's been there from the beginning when I was there. These people are still there and they're compensated well, uh, very well, in fact. And so Riot just doesn't seem to care about this at all. And they view these people as replaceable. And for everybody who's like, well, I would watch the games if the, the casters weren't there. I've made this point before. You know, if the casters change, you will. This is true. You will. Because Riot has set up a monopoly where there isn't any other option. We literally, in League of Legends, have seen what happens when there are two options. When Spo TV came in in Korea, and Doa and Papa Smithy and Achilleos and I were on the OGN stream, and other people, including LS at the time, who is not as big as he is now, were on the other stream, 90% of the viewership watched the OGN stream even when the games were being played in the Spo TV arena, and we were just in an empty room. Okay, we had like 99, 95% of that viewership. And so when given a choice between two different casting products, because that was, again, the only difference. In fact, one casting product was frequently worse because you weren't in the studio to get all of the cool crowd shots or the studio shots or anything like that. People made the choice to go with OGN. Now, likewise, I was on the, the other side of that when I cast StarCraft for OGN, when it was GSL versus OGN, and it was me and Doa versus Tasteless and Artosis, 95% of the viewers were on the Tasteless and Artosis stream. Obviously, they're better StarCraft casters than me and Doa. Like, come on. So you can see that we actually do have evidence um, of people having very strong opinions about commentators and gravita gravitating towards those commentators. But when there is a monopoly and there isn't a competing product, when you don't have multiple broadcasters bidding on these games and therefore deciding, hey, I want to get this top talent because I think the viewership's going to be over here, you create a scenario where casters have no value. But it's a riot-created scenario. It's not a real scenario. So there you go. Any I, more I, topics? Is that it? Have we done the rant? Got a good hour in. I mean, it's it. No, we we haven't we haven't finished the rants yet. Is there another we topic we had? What we have to talk one? about coma in the Asian games. Oh, I forgot all about that. Yeah, true. I'm sorry, guys. There's just been so much. This has been an unusually high week of bullshit, and none of this bullshit has kind of like reached the four horsemen bar yet. But we do true. have to talk about the Asian games. So what's going on with the Asian games, guys? Is now coma. Of course, legendary former T1 coach, current Don Juan coach, um, is no longer the coach of the national team for the Asian Games. So why, you might be asking, is this happening? So KESPA, which is the semi-governmental body, they are the intermediary between the esports world and the Korean government, was responsible for the selection of the Asian Games. It was delegated to them by the government of Korea. Um, now... Nobody likes Kespa. I'm not going to like we could do an entire Four Horsemen episodes about why Kespa is fucking horrible and has been for 20 years. But needless to say, this is not the time and place for that. They are you can see from this particular instance, their vast incompetence. We they also have zero chance of having any impact on what they do, no matter what we say. So don't <laughs> yeah. worry about that one. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, we cannot stop them. Yes, Nobody exactly. can. Uh, actually, that's not true. Riot could have stopped them by simply refusing to interact with them in the early days yes. of League of Legends, but 
unfortunately, because Riot at the was run by people who didn't understand Korean esports, even though I literally warned them about Kespa, they were like, nah, we'll just work with them. And so they re-empowered them. We could have killed them off w- with StarCraft, basically, or just kept them over there. But Riot was like, we should we should interact with these people. I'm like, no, don't do it. Don't do it. And then they did. And now Kespa's here to stay. So unfortunate, but there we go. Anyway, so Coma, basically Kespa is responsible for selecting the players that are going to be on the Asian game roster. They can only select six players, five starters and one alternate player, but they are doing trials with 10 players. Now, what they did is Kespa, what it appears to me is happening uh, is that they are trying to make a push to regionalize League of Legends. So they were going to do some exhibition matches as like trials between the 10 players in Gwangju, which is a different city in Korea, using kind of a, a new esports arena or a new facility that they kind of wanted to show off there. Now, there's several layers to why this is bullshit. First off, why would you? Why would you possibly like show your scrims if you want these players to like do well at the Asian Games? I know it's going to be on a different patch, but there's really no point to doing this. Secondly, isn't it kind of cruel to make these players play publicly for their spots when, again, the reward is potentially not doing two years of mandatory military service. Like, that seems that seems like re- kind of unprofessional. Um, and why not just choose the roster and not let the fans see things and then fight it out if their favorite player doesn't actually make it, even if their favorite player performed well in these exhibition matches? You just need to make that decision. Yeah, there's the other thing. You're also opening the door for a player one off in that scrim popping off, but you don't think he should be in the final team. You don't pick him and you yep. look like an idiot and all his yep. fans go mental and the death yep. threats and as you, all the usual fun of the Korean circus. <laughs> so thirdly, <laughs> if you are going to pick a coach for this team, you have to invest in them authority in order to select the final oh, roster yeah. because nobody at Kespa has Coma's game knowledge or no, uh, no. relationships with these players, etc. And so what happened is Coma doesn't – he basically was just eating shit for all of Kespa's decisions to the point that he was crying on stream because obviously, first off, it's an honor to be selected for the national coaching position, but you actually have to be invested with authority for it to be meaningful. And then on top of that, all of the Korean fans are just getting getting enraged at him. Oh, he's going to be biased for Dom Juan. You know, oh, he, even he, though he's T1 fans are like yeah, flipping awesome. out, being yes. like, you got to pick the whole T1 roster for the yep. best, you know, for the best you know, opportunity to win this tournament. If you don't do that, you're biased because you're Dom Juan. Dom Juan fans are like, you should pick the Dom Juan place. It's just, it's like, it's a complete fucking fiasco. So like it's a lose lose situation for Coma. I like I think he is smart to get the fuck out of this scenario. Um, but because it doesn't matter what he does, because people are going to get mad no matter what, and he's going to eat him. Forbid you lose to China in the fucking tournament, man. God (laughs) forbid that happens. Uh, But even if he wins Thor, and people will be like, "Well, you should have picked this player. He would have won anyway, and it was more important for this player to get military." You could even argue, yeah, that's the that's the most toxic part of it, Monty, is that you've now made it so that if you win, he gets fucked. Because if you win, here's the obvious example, right? If you win and you picked Faker, then all the Damwon fans go, see, bias till the end, got your boy Faker, his military service off. If you pick Strawmaker, they go, ah, secretly got a grudge against Faker and don't want him to, you can't fuck it. You can't (laughs) win. You actually can't win. This is what I know. (laughs) So fucked in it. I feel for Koma, man. This is just a terrible situation. But now, now you have, again, going back to the whole Asian game things, this has been so mishandled 
that now you have less of a chance than you did before. Remember, yes. you 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 did not you you sacrificed the competitive and integrity of the LCK by not rescheduling matches while teams had COVID, which affected the final results of the regular season. You didn't push back your playoffs. You didn't push back uh, your finals so that you could do this thing. And now this thing doesn't have a coach and is on fire. It's embarrassing. And again, if you're not if you're going to make these decisions about we're going to sacrifice LCK. Why is this such a fiesta? Like, by the way, here's the, also where the universe does have a sense of humor, though, Monty. Because right at the moment that the tension is at the highest for the LCK, all this stress, all this drama. What do you know? The two teams that have just made it to the final of the LPL contain zero Korean imports. <laughs> so it's also going to be one of the best years ever for China could essentially just make like a Chinese super team. And they might also win. Like, that's the worst part is that they could resolve all these issues and still lose. So it'll all be for nothing. No one will get the bloody military. Service on Philly, like, well, and, and also, so also, what happens, Thorne, if this if this whole event because of the COVID situation? Now, the, you know, the, there's no reason to believe, by the way, guys, that the COVID situation is going to get any better in China. Like, no one really no, knows, it, by the no, way, why, like what the metrics are, why they're doing no, stuff. So, yeah, there's no logic yeah, as to whether lend. Yeah. Obviously, nobody has real information because it's yeah. kept secret by the Chinese government. So, you know, even though it's in September, now that's a long way away from now. Things could certainly get better during this time. They also might not, and. Ultimately, they're going to have to make a call as to whether this goes forward, uh, yes. you know, before that particular point in time. By the um, way, I will mold if they have if they end up somehow canceling that like fucking the league yes, tournament. Yes. This so, is I'll go mental, mate. So, so mental. if they cancel these games, then all of this bullshit <laughs> exactly. will have been yes. for absolutely no reason. <laughs> Even MSI, everything. Like, yes, I, I, we will have sacrificed so much competitive integrity for absolutely nothing. This year. I feel like if we sign Bjergsen to play mid lane this year, or, just get nothing to show for it. Millions here, here's here's a hot take of something that Come might on. happen. Okay, here you go. Because it's the Asian Games and the teams are technically close enough to play online, they might cancel the physical sports, keep the esports because there's more than the, there's Hearthstone, there's PUBG Mobile, right? Um, okay. There's I think there's a fighting game. There's there's multiple esports that are okay. metal events at this Asian Games. I can't remember quite off the top of my head. So what happens if? They do the same thing for that MSI is doing, but they give the Chinese team zero ping because it was supposed to happen in China, and they just force everyone else to play with ping to the Chinese server. Here's the thing. If that I was happen. someone in Tencent, I would be sat going, what if? <laughs> that's, that's, that's the shit. By the way, imagine the drama that that would involve. <laughs> Just saying, that's, also, that's, this that's is, on the table, guys. This is also, by the way, again, though, why they don't actually understand marketing and esports, Monty. Because what they do instead is, because it's China, we all know the way shit really works over there. Everyone just awkwardly is talking around this and trying to not, not like, point out, like, the connections between the dots. If they actually had any fucking balls in League, you'd just Vince McMahon it. This would be part of the storyline. It would be like, wait a minute, what's going on? And you know what? China gets to have the 35 ping as well. Like, they come up, what the fuck? That's, that's biased. That's yeah, I don't care, man. Like, I'd do the whole. I'd, I'd have like a thick, dead white type character. Fucking, you know, that'd be sick if you did it like that, man. Yeah. Like, even if you just had it. By the way, you could actually make all the fucked up shit Riot does suddenly fun. Like, if instead Monty of just not saying double lift invited, if instead there was some Dana White character again who goes, "You're a double lift. How dare you say that about a plus yeah. right? You're off the event. Oh my god, like you're fired Trump style. Like that'd be amazing, man. That's oh, the great the irony. That's the great irony of of League of Legends esports story, and is that. 
Vince McMahon, the fake ass commissioner of a fake ass <laughs> sport, is a better commissioner than anybody yeah. at Riot. Yes, yeah. the fake sport commissioner is actually better than the it's real true. commissioner. That is insane. <laughs> exactly, and he just plays one on TV. Exactly, it's great. Yeah, it's true. That she is. <laughs> Oh my god! Fiesta. So yeah, I oh. mean, this people people like probably you know weren't putting all the like dots together on all of the stuff that happened this week regarding just like not paying people on broadcasts, you know, the whole like MSI ping issue, and now combined with the fact that like the coma issue with him not being the oh, coach anymore. One for you, as well. <laughs> you know when people always do that thing where they go, "Oh, tiniest violin in the world," time now. Spare a thought for people like Bjergsen who are playing for millions of dollars and not very good at the game. Oh, they can't just play champions queue all the time thorin they've got to have a life this is what happens when you're actually a top asian pro the amount of shit you eat on a daily fucking basis people like bjergsen can't even comprehend it mate like that's the other thing i hate about when they talk about like how hard it is for people in the west you don't even know how hard it is for these bloody people like spoiler like we're saying in this scenario there is no positive outcome if you coma if you win you get fucked if you pick the right play you get fucked if you pick the wrong play you get fucked you no matter what you get hit that's just your life. <laughs> the worst that's just, that's just reality, isn't it? I know it sucks. <laughs> like, who the fuck would want that? It's the ultimate poison chalice. And right. as you say, you don't even pick the players. Yeah, so the, the thing is, you get the you them and you can pick them. Yeah, it basically, Kespa's <laughs> just using you as a meat shield. You're just a flak. <laughs> that's all you are, just a flak to attract the heat-seeking missiles. So there, blow up on Kespa. Kespa's like the hero, like the villain in the action movie who like has that guy yes. held down in front of him while all the bullets are raining down. And Kespa's just like, no, please, please don't kill me. Exactly. <laughs> while all the fans are just there, like the SWAT team behind all the cars, just like aiming their I guns at him. Just because it's so ridiculous, would always be in those action movies back in the day where they were would fall use another person to land on and then sort of like just get up off of them as well like as though that wouldn't wreck you as well just like the impact going through their body but you just use their body as like a human shield to land and they just like get off or whatever like that wouldn't work but that is what they've done to call me here for sure it's mad isn't it what a fucking world so i mean th this was this was like low-key uh ultimate fiesta week which is why we had to talk about all oh, of sure. this shit uh, before we get into the actual games, which were the <laughs> the LPL and, and the LCS finals, which we are going to do now. I think I think we we've we've navigated through all of the topics that Dagda definitely shouldn't comment on. <laughs> yes, oh, of course. There's another thing we actually did learn back from back in the day is we did used to back in the because remember we ourselves didn't know how dangerous it could be and how people would fucking hold petty grudges against you. Like we used to just have these convos while the other guy sat there and then just like offer him chances to just ruin his own career by jumping in. But it's like just don't just don't talk about these topics, mate. You just talk about the games. That's all you need to talk about. Don't worry about the edgy Convert. You just you just cast the games, man. So, <laughs> should we get them on them? Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll do oh, that. by the way, obviously, before we go to that section, though, on esports bet, I know you're thinking now, what league are you possibly going to present to me, Thorin? Right? I know that the LPL's done. That's why I'd like to say I just saw the LCS. They had something of a final. LEC. You had Dylan Falco come on. Obviously, LCK was SK Telecom going 18 and zero, 20 and zero in Series One. There is more league to actually be done, though. Like if people don't know, what is the best competition in Europe after LEC? Spoiler: It's not the LFL. It's actually EU Masters, isn't it? That's obviously what brought about the revolution of the next sets of talents. Basically, Basically, most of the top people now in the LEC that have been top the last few years came through EU Masters and the URLs. Well, they still have those on eSports Bet. You can go check them all out. If there's any leagues that haven't finished yet, they'll be on there still. And if you follow other games, so we talked about at the beginning of the show, Shocks obviously is going to be doing the CSGO Major. 
They'll have that when it comes up in a month or so. Currently also in CSGO, they'll have the Blast Showdown and the Blast Spring Finals. So, as usual, if basically if you follow any other esports, Valorant, Rainbow Six, FIFA, they have them all, boys. They have them all. And as usual, if you want to get the deposit bonus, don't just play for free from the DJT. If you want to get more money, more bang for your buck, use our link in the description box below for 50% deposit bonus on up to $200. Right, now we'll go to the break, play some music and bring on Dagda, talk about the LPL and how orangey everything is. All right. I'm the host for this section. <laughs> That's why I am the one speaking first. And I will now introduce our guest on a segment not sponsored by anyone else, just a talk, a discussion about the LPL. And of course, Dagda is the guest joining us, as I hinted at with the orangey comment. And by the way, what do you know? Orangey are indeed again the fucking best. <laughs> Even though I have to say at this point in time, Dagda, it doesn't actually make any sense why they've won this particular split. Like the last one last year was the whole cool, you know, the Xiaohu storyline yeah. and bringing all these rookies. Like if people don't know, if you look this split, like I, I've been telling people, the way you know people still don't really care about LPL is people seem oblivious to like how insane their off-season was. Like that might be the craziest LPL off-season I've ever seen, dude, because if people don't know, even the like legendary like signature names of Orgs just left and went elsewhere. Where actually, the joke is Yao is one of the only ones who stayed and he rolls what back to mid. So to me, this was one of the craziest splits I've ever seen, mate. Like from the off season, which seemed to just totally shake the board up. Like if people don't know, the shy look, you're all on different teams. There's only the rare people stayed on the same squads. People even did mad swaps. Like one of the weirdest ones was where they did the fucking zoom for 369 swap. It's like, who's making these fucking deals? So anyway, it was all over the place as usual. Obviously, it's the LPL. So again, we also had that scenario where you have Schrodinger's players where players like Tian uh, like one day they're actually like the best player then the next day you're not even sure why they're allowed to play professionally like we have players just all over the place as you so give me like let's just start at the top of this one how has the split been for you overall Dagda how have you enjoyed this LPL split and contrasting with all the many others you've watched yeah I mean this one was a lot of fun because it was as like just full of bedlam right like even when you talk about like zoom and 369 the zoom just gets replaced by wayward right so yeah so it's just it's kind of cool to see like guys like wayward popping off and um, sure but i definitely think this is like our weakest split by far like just as teams are trying to get all together like even you talk about you know why rng won well it's because top esports don't know how to play a mid game right yes. like that's the only reason our chief really got to to kind of take the whole tournament so i think there's like it's been fun watching kind of the growth of some of the players, watching like teams work through the growing pains that they had as they tried to get used to each other. But I certainly think from like a standpoint of international stuff, I think LPL looks the weakest probably it's ever been. Yeah, it's uh, I, it was hard for me to tell because like I obviously I didn't watch all the regular season games, but I watched all of the playoff games and it, you know, sometimes it's because these things are online and like when you have online play, it can degenerate into like scrim play a lot of the time. So I was like, yeah. is this real? Like, would they, I, my question was like, would they play like this on land or not? <laughs> was that kind of my, my overwhelming question because there were just such, I think, big flaws with a lot of the, the LPL teams in these playoffs that, you know, it's what I said previously was it just felt like whoever managed to fix their shit the fastest was going to be the team that, that managed to actually take the trophy. Now I thought that was going to be V five, but, um, you know, uh, Rich was really we'll disappointing. We're going to get into it. It's all good. We're going to get into it. It's all good. <laughs> like, PB God can only play Leona, and Rich decided to feed. Yeah. So who who could have seen that one coming? Um, and then later on, like the, the top esports, as you alluded to earlier, they often have you – know, what's impressive about top 
is they have really good set plays in the early game. Like their skirmishing ability is insane. Like the way that uh, you see Knight roaming into the side lanes at like level three and four, they're picking up kills. They're doing excellent turret dives. They're engaging from like the entire screen away and picking up kills. They're so good at like chaining CC at making sure that they know uh, exactly how much damage they need in order to kill people. But they also get drawn into literally every objective fight on the face of the planet, whether it's good for them or not. And by the time you reach mid game, it's like, should we fight this? Yes. Do we have all of our cooldowns? No, we don't. So we just lose, I guess. Like that was that it's it's very weird. I mean, you I think you did a very good job of casting the finals, but there were just really inexplicable points of competition, especially in that fifth game of the finals, where like they had just used the Ziggs ultimate. You called it like right as they used it, like a minute before the Dragon Soul. And then they're so they use it to chunk Jahu out on the Vex, and he just recalls, gets full HP like a minute fifteen before the dragon, they just rolls back in and they just own them because they, they no longer have critical cooldowns that they need to control the fight. And I was like, why the fuck would you ever do that? Like, what, what was the point of doing that in the first place? Um, and so it's a very weird, weird series to watch. And RNG, for those of you who don't know, uh, Wei was just like, will he int the early game or not for most of the playoffs? And like, if they don't, their late game is quite good, and they have good team fighting, and they have good con objective control. Uh, Gala is obviously very good, but they had a pretty big coin flip weakness in the jungler, depending on which champion he was playing. His Volibear was tragic. Uh, and, you know, it's like, can they get to the late game? And if they can, then they're going to do pretty well for the most part. They also had better drafts, I think. But anyway, that's, that's all to say. Like, it was very interesting. It was a very interesting LPL playoffs to watch because you really got the sense of the strong identities and strengths of, and weaknesses of these teams, which made it very fun. But also, it, it was kind of sloppy. The problem I have is this, Dagda. Normally, when because I know so many people don't watch the LPL or only watch the final. Normally, I want to tell them it's the best region by telling them like you don't have to worry who wins. Essentially, like, as long as like the top four teams get to the right that double limb part of the playoffs, like it's actually the most sturdy playoff format in the world. So whoever wins LPL, yeah, maybe they are the best team in the world. The problem I have with this particular split, though, dude, is this: like I feel about RNG, like I felt about Yankos in the LEC playoffs. He wasn't like doing outrageous pop-offs where it's like he's got to be the best jungler. It's like he just played it like an eight out of 10 every game and then if anyone else played like a 4 out of 10 they just lost the game and he just caught the throw every time I felt like that about RNG because mate these two top esports series don't even make sense like the first one top's supposed to easily win and they lose and then the second one they look like they're winning and then they lose and they get like what the fuck like there's no rhyme or reason to it for me so like give me your thoughts on this like, RNG has the represent the LPL like what are the strengths what are they good at like like pretty sweet am I right in thinking you wouldn't like say they're better than T1 right now yeah no like <clears throat> I I think that P like T1 is the best by far, but I also think people kind of idolize T1 a bit more than they should. I think T1 definitely have their own mistakes. I sure. still think they by far and away beat RNG. Um, I think RNG struggle massively in the early game. And I think a lot of that kind of Monty already alluded to is way. Because when you look at like how Way was as a player, when he first came into the league in 2020 with E-Star, they looked really good because he had like one identity, which was level two, level three, level four. I'm ganking bot. We're going to dive it over and over and over and over. We're going to get this nice lead. And that got them the whole way into playoffs. Like they finished sixth at that stage for a new team that came in. It was kind of insane. But yeah, yeah. Kind of playoffs, right. And then you look at uh, springs, or sorry, summer 2020. And he just has no breeze what he's supposed to be doing and he looks pretty terrible. And then he gets picked up by RNG. He's got this super set identity of I'm going to play around Shehu. I'm going to gank top over and over and over and over and over. That's all I'm going to do. I'm going to get Ming to help me with that. And he looks great again. 
Then we come into what is now RNG. And again, he kind of doesn't have that like one definitive thing that he needs to do. And I think he's really struggling as a result. I don't think he really knows how to play off of wave states. I don't think he really knows what to do if he doesn't have Ming essentially chaperoning him around the map. I think that's kind of why RNG are struggling in the early stages because a large portion of the early game was, hey, Wei and Ming are going to link up together and they're going to go top or they're going to go play around mid. And now you kind of look at them and they're like, oh, well, Ming actually had like our highest duo proximity out of any of the, the top four teams in uh, LPL finals. And Ming has been so good at roaming, but now he's just playing around Gala. So Wei doesn't really have that guy to chaperone him or move around the map. And I think he's really struggling because of it. So a lot of the time, Xiaohu now is kind of like, having to babysit him through the early stages so the, the teams aren't jumping in on top of him. And then it means that they're playing a little bit more heavily around Gal and Ming in the bot side. But it's it's kind of slowing down the pace of the early game because they're oftentimes relying on Gala getting those late game fights to kind of take over, which is why they're like mid to late game is still pretty good, right? Like once they get a lead and they get into team fights, they know how to execute. But the early game, they just don't really have that identity coming from way anymore. And I think he's struggling because of it. Yeah, so I think I'll tell you go on, Monty. You know, I think there are some other issues that could be exploited at MSI too. Um, you know, I, I think part of Top's defeat in the finals was a pretty inconsistent and and nerve like it seemed like Wayward had nerves. Um, and so that allowed, I think, Bin to do quite well in many of these games, especially in the early games where he was, I mean. He was playing versus the Aurelia, but he was doing very well into what is typically considered a counter matchup for the NAR. And Wayward was playing too aggressively, and he was dying in a way that I think that you play that matchup with a different top laner, and you probably get a very different result. Um, and so I think that that might be problematic for them in the future is like they kind of got a free pass in the top lane in some of these games, and not sure that's going to that's gonna happen to the same degree at, a, at an international level. Yeah, I agree. I think, like, realistically, I think a team that actually knows how to play around the early game will just beat RNG. Um, and I think that's the problem, is that top esports, when they got to the mid-game, didn't actually know what they were supposed to do when they got there. Like, I think even if you look at, like, I think it was game... Hang on, was it game two? Um, where they had, the like, the Aurelia and the Galio. And mm -hmm. they had the ability to play around the side lane if they wanted to, and they yep. just never went for it. Um, even you look at like whenever they have the rise, right? You never really see Knight in the side lane. It's all about going to fights and like not actually trying to use pressure that they have on sides to gain numbers advantage or anything. So I think it made it very easy for RNG. Like even if you look at like the core key composition that Shehu brought out, like that was just, hey, we're just going to hands off the wheel. Like we're just going to play for late game. We don't care about what happens at the early stages. And game one, game two, they were able to keep it really slow and they got to the late game point where they could fight. Um, but if you are against a better team, like say T1, for example, who were able to take early advantages and then actually no use them in a mid game, <laughs> I just don't see where RNG are able to come into this. You know? I, mean, it, I, I think, it, yeah, it's if you guys want a good example of this, uh, you know, the finals are are less bad, I would say, from top esports. But if you watch the semifinal match, because we got two best of fives between these two teams, like top esports lost 3-1, but they should have won all four of the games that were played, if you look at it kind of objectively. Um, but there were a lot, and they lost it in very different ways each and every time. Like, it was not playing side lanes properly while Knight is on the rise in one of the games. It was like Baron flipping for a steal in one of the games. Then it was like, we're gonna we, we're gonna dive in their base because we're worried about a late game outscale in the last game. And then, you know, we're gonna just int it Elder Dragon after that, right? So, you know, there, there were... Basically, top found very inventive ways to lose, but it was like a different way to lose every single game. And I don't think that's 
a reliable strategy for RNG. Like it's just putting yourself in these scenarios is such an uphill battle. Um, even I will say it's less of an uphill battle than it used to be because of things like objective bounties and because of the strength of scaling in League of Legends in general right now. Like it, it I would say it's more viable to play this way, uh, the way RNG plays, but still not ideal. Not ideal. <laughs> yeah, I, I think the big thing for me is I just want to see more through their mid jungle, right? Like you end up seeing Shaohu going for things like the Rise, where you can actually like you know point and click CC, set up for Wayon if he's playing the Lee Sin or he's playing the Jarvan or hey, like why whatever. Why would you play Corky Lee Sin like uh, yeah. into into Galio Viego? It's like yeah. you intentionally are taking the Lee Sin very early in the draft, and you just have no two v two power. Like you just have to seed everything. It doesn't. It's <laughs> it, the synergy level is is not amazing. No. And he, but even when they have things that you can play around, right? Like if you're looking at what was it? They had the the Vexley sin. They've had like the the even before this, they played like the Risley sin as well in oh, like yeah. semifinals and stuff. And you'd never actually see them like play towards it. So it was just it was just super strange. Um, but also I think Wei's champion pool is a bit of an issue. Like he doesn't look good in the volley bear. And um, the only two champions that you kind of look at him like Viego, his Viego looks good. His Lee sin is okay. And then you're kind of scratching your head going, well, what else does he actually have, right? So I think that's why we ended up seeing in both times that these two teams played, like the Lee Sin started to like creep up higher and higher in priority once the Viego was banned. So I think it was just a case of like Wade didn't really feel like he could play anything else. Well, the thing that I find cool, though, is like I actually just appreciate seeing fucking Zhao Hu win another LPL title because the sad thing is people went so hard on the narrative because if people don't know, yes, before Zhao Hu, the early RNG teams, well, it was particularly Royal Club back then, they were all just like Uzi I, 1v9, raise the puppy hat. We all know the memes, but like people pushed that too far with the RNG that had Zhao Hu. If people don't know, this motherfucker used to be like an MVP of the league while he was playing with Uzi I. And even though, yes, at the time that they had like the best team in the world certainly they created to Uzi I. he was still one of the absolute best players I think if you actually even look the year before that season seven worlds you'll see like he was absolutely one of the best players in the world like could have won worlds a couple of times so I always find it cool when people can like step out of the shadow of the narrative and I even think he's made a totally unique perspective because even though he comes from a region you'd think LPL and LCK should be like it's like the Chovies of the Knights it's like the high mechanics like the best player no the cool thing about him is he has like the perks vibe to him like the motherfucker can just lose lane but win the game he just know in fact he's even had the fucking successful roll swap and keep raining which if, if you don't get it just shows that you just know the game that means you don't even have to play your role to know the game and how to close situations win do things where, like essentially know what matchups work without a lead and stuff like this guy's just a fucking winner so for me him and Ming like I just love seeing people like that stack championships like probably mad underrated players in history because they come from the LPL sadly but some of the best to ever do it so it's in the same way as Mako got his worlds I think it's cool to see these guys keep stacking championships without Uzi eyes so not all the credit just go to one player also i think like if you want to see the potential of these players go ahead and watch game five of the finals and sure we'll we will have a debate uh about whether zoe zigs all magic damage was a great idea in the game five of a series i would say no uh <laughs> i would say no uh but also credit where it's due like zhao who was a fucking wizard just sniping Jackie Love out of the back line with the Vex and Ming's hooks were extraordinary in that game. And so both of them played out of their minds and people will point at Jackie Love and be like, why didn't you flash it? I don't know if it was reasonable to expect him to flash when he's like 
when you're you're seeing Vex skill shots threaded between like five people and he's getting hit from an entire screen away. Like it was it was ridiculous what Zhao Hu was doing. And this is why we see the priority on Vex in in China and in some of the in Korea to a lesser degree, but especially in China, is that if you play this champion well, at two items, you can just hundred to zero people. Like if you could just get back there and fuck people up. And I think it was really interesting this series as well, because we had like the two ve best Vex players in the league. Like if you look at like every highlight performance that we've had from like any Vex, I think three of them are like Xiaohu and one of them is nice. It's just been absolutely insane, like what he's able to do. And this isn't the first time, like even from games where they're behind, where he'll just blow up three people as Vex and absolutely turn the course of the game. Like it's insane what he's able to do. And I think the it's going back to kind of what Thorne was saying, like not only does have we had the role swap from Xiaohu, it also felt like honestly Xiaohu had to basically take on the jungle role to a certain extent in, this in the series we saw as well. Like the fact that he has to play against Knight, one of the best laners that we have in the LPL, and he's also got to worry about what way he's doing, then try and get roams off, trying to set everything open. Um, <clears throat> And what it, you'll see him a lot as well, where like, say Wei wants to move up to top side to make a gank for Bin. Well, oftentimes Xiaohu will like shove Wave and actually go and like cover bot side as well. So he's trying to like cover everything on the map at the same time. And I think it just speaks volumes to him that like, not only is it a case of like, oh yeah, we well, got the role swap. It's like, this man is so like omnipresent on the map and it's such a good understanding of like, what are the potential yeah, yeah. plays that can turn the game around? But he's there to protect it at all points in time. So he's also entered the faker tier where you play mid lane and just secretly jungle at the same time and just moonshine, moonlight in another job at your current job. All right, but, but this is this is where we've seen you know the meta kind of going, and you know we sure. talk a lot about T one playing these kind of long range pick comps or these that contain a lot of resets and T1 was doing it with the Kai'Sa in the mid lane, right? And and trying to get a lot of damage. They were doing a Vex as well uh, and Jace. But basically the theory holds true among these top regions right now, which is that you really, really want to have extremely long range poker engage. And then you're following it up with some kind of reset, whether it's like a Viego or you know, an Aurelia, these kind of champions are extreme, a Jinx, these kind of champions are very strong in this meta because they allow you to snowball fights so easily and to capitalize off of the poke that you get. Um, you know, I I think even it's true in top esports, if you look at their last game, I mean, you can see the theory of it if the Zoe and and Ziggs combination, because they were nearly one-shotting the Vex, and I think if Zhaohu had been slightly less fed, maybe they can hit the, like, bubble into... Zig's bomb combo that they were looking for just to zero somebody out. Um, but they did fall behind. And so that wasn't really an option. So I think there is a little bit of bias when people are going to be looking at that draft. Um, but also, you know, going in at even at a deficit made it too easy to build, um, you know, force of nature and then, or, and Merc treads. And then like, how do you kill anybody? <laughs> There's a key segue I've got here, because this is a question I now want to ask Dagda about the aforementioned Top Esports. So by the way, Dagda, if anyone follows Top Esports, it's totally fitting they would lose a game five of a final. They've already done it in the past as well, just like this, because one of the things I hate about Top Esports, mate, here's what I love. They have the player Knight, maybe the best player ever to win Worlds. He's up in that category. He's the, if people don't know, genuinely, he is like Sleeper being the best player in the world for like three straight years. He just unfortunately had that one world that was mildly lackluster, but that even ties into what I'm going to talk about. Anyone who's a fan of Knight must hate their coach like I do. Because this coach, it's like you would think it was the other team coach purposely fucking up the draft. Dude, this... Bear in mind, he's been the one mainstay in this team, this amazing mid laner. Dude, I, if you even read the interviews, it's like the players themselves. I don't know if they're just memeing, but it's like 
they, they seem to know these drafts are always just fucking scoffed as hell. Like, what haven't you noticed that? They have a re- he has a really cursed fucking drafting history in his teams, mate. Yeah, I mean, I, I assume you're kind of referring to the, t- the two Galio picks at the start, where I was just like, oh, many of that are just weird. You, you know. Galio? Yeah, and look, like I, the I amount think... of times, for example, you know, he'll be in a game where it's like if you give him the carry champ, he'll do, and then like you say, he'll play some supportive champ, or they'll draft a comp where it'll be like no fucking damage or something like. That. There's some, there's so many weird ones they do do, and they've had like if people don't know, they've had like super skilled lineups for years and years now. They could they could draft a lot of other things. Yeah, I mean, I for it, like if you're just looking at this series, like they seemed fucking terrified of Galio, and I have no idea why. Like they were blind picking out on red side, like every single rotation. They banned it every game as well. I was like, yep. you, there are answers to this. Like you're totally fine it's to let the champion just to the world, dude. It's not even played <laughs> elsewhere. Like, and it just like, they, they had like Shao who had that one good Galio engage with like the Hecarim. I think it was like game five of their last series or game four of their last series where they completely wiped them they turned it around and like that was like their game winning play and it just seemed like PTSD from that where they're like we can't let this through like this is just so busted and I don't know like Knight you could see it in like game uh, three and four where you actually had him on a champion where he could do something and it looked like a completely different game and well, I, I, don't, I, I don't disagree with the philosophy of the Galio pick and here's why they were getting the Irelia counter pick into the NAR as a result of like the early picking of the Galio right and the concept here is that he's supposed to go and help the side lanes which he's I mean he is objectively him and Rookie are very good at you know showing up under your tower at level four on a Galio and then doing it again once Galio gets ult. Like, it's a great champion to go ahead and snowball those lanes. You have the long-range engage, which is a premium right now for catching people out. The problem is, is that when when your Aurelia isn't strong, you're useless, right? Yeah. You don't do shit. So if anything, I think that they came in with a game plan of punishing a NAR pick. And then when they realized that Wayward was not in a state to be carrying these games, then they switched it up. And all of a sudden Wayward was playing, you know, a tank or something like that instead. And they were they were having uh, a little bit more higher damage from a rise pick in the mid lane or what have you. Right. Yeah, I think it's. The the biggest problem with that for me is like when you see like the Lee Sin, you pretty much instantly know that you're gonna lose the, the mid jungle, right? Like because you're gonna go with the Viego, Lee Sin is the priority there, and you're going to get counterpicked because they rotated it first, right? Like even if they'd taken it on like red sick red side third pick, I would have been like, okay, cool. Now you can ban away some picks and make sure it's all right. But you just gave all the time in the world for uh RNG to figure out how they wanted to draft against this. Um, and you've already got a strong jungler there to pair with it. So I just never really saw an opportunity where Knight was going to be able to roam like playoff towards sides in those early levels. And then you kind of get to a point where, okay, cool. Like you can try and play for team fights, right? And I agree with the Aurelia, I think as well with the set, you had some opportunities to do that. But even then, when they got the team fights, the coordination on the fights was all over the place. And um, I think Mark had a terrible series. Like him on the set looked atrocious. He was whiffing all over the place when it came to this Leona. So, um, it just felt like they never really got to a position where they could actually either one use the Galio in the early stages or had the coordination to try and lose it in the later game fights as well. So the whole clan just kind of looked abysmal from the get go. Um. And I just don't know what they're thinking. I just don't understand why they kind of go, oh yeah, like we're going to blind Galio when we have so many things that are just going to push us in and not give us the opportunity to make any plays. I also noticed in the LPL, you had the same scenario that ended up playing out in a couple of the other regions. So in the same way as like on paper, the like real best team in the LEC and LCS was supposed to be Fnatic and uh, Team Liquid and neither ended up making the final. 
The real best team in the LPL was supposed to be Victory 5. If people don't know, Rookie was the MVP. Nearly all the team was like in the bloody all-first team. And like one of them was in like the all-second team. Like the team, this was supposed to be the team. Especially, dude, once you get to that double limb portion. It's like that, this should be it. This should be another Rookie Championship. Let's go to MSI. Let's get that MSI. And it doesn't happen. So for you, is Rookie the best player in the LPL? What do you think of V5? Yeah, I think rookies. Um, and I, I was really sad that V5 weren't the ones that progressed. I think all of us were expecting V5 to be the team that represented LPL. Um, and then they just threw every single ban that existed at rookie. And they were like, oh, as long as we like shut down the mid jungle, there's actually nothing this team could do. And that was really sad to see because I thought V5 were such a cool team to watch as well. Because um, it wasn't only just that like rookie was a beast, right? It was like how they played around mid jungle. Like, instead of, you wouldn't get, like, they had super high champion kills per minute but for like the first five minutes they wouldn't really do anything it was all about like getting vision and almost like the tension building until they were going to go and look for picks and find these really cool opportunities and play teams off of like how they reset and like it was super cool and um, and even when they got behind right i think they had like a 67 percent win rate when behind just 15 minutes like i say that's, that's, that's unbelievable yeah 50, sorry, <laughs> that's ridiculous yeah it was insane because all they would do is like they would understand hey we've got like an extra six seconds here where we can get a terror and still be back to fight this dragon and suddenly like oh well, we got the bounty and we're now getting back into it they were just really really good at playing from behind um and you'd get some awesome plays where you had like Carson making that back door against actually against RNG in like their game three, where he played like hidden a bush for a minute and a half until Elder Dragon spawns and then just guns at his Hecarim. Like you got these awesome plays, but we just never got to see it because of the amount of attention that was put onto mid lane by top esports. I think it was the right call, right? Like realistically, Rookie was kind of the life and soul of this team, linking up with Carsa, uh, Photic and PP God, like Photic. I'm going to say new, but like we saw him on top esports in 2020 before he got replaced by Jackie. Oh, yeah. But um, definitely a newer player, kind of still trying to find his way. So he wasn't really able to step up and like be a mainstay carrier from the bot side. PP God has always been a bit iffy in the bot lane as well. And I was, I think like Monty already said it earlier as well. For me, Rich was awful. Like we've actually seen Rich have a genuinely good split in the LPL. Like, he actually improved massively in the lane. Oh, yeah. Like, his team fighting was always pretty good, like, where he was able to to have those moments because that was kind of similar to HOTS, right? But his laning was abysmal. But at the start, same idea, but very quickly grew over the split and was actually, like, top three, top two top laners we had in the LPL. And then it just all fell apart in the finals. I don't know what happened to him. Because I thought, you know, when this guy is considered, like, the HOTS, or the faker of HOTS, that we'd see him like totally comfortable in the finals. Like he's been in this pressure situation oh, yeah, before. He'd be sure. all right, but he completely fell apart. Yeah, if if you guys aren't aware, like Rich was on this uh, MVP black block MVP black roster in Hots that had like this one of the greatest win streaks in esports history, which is like I don't know what was it Thor like a forty six match win streak or something like that. I don't know the completely tournaments. Yeah, yeah, it was completely ridiculous. So this is certainly a player who has played on massive stages before in extremely high pressure environments, has been dominant. So I agree, it was odd because you you definitely don't expect to see that. I mean, I think for me. Like PP God was the worst player on this roster in playoffs, and I I honestly think this is, I want to get your take on this. I feel like rookie sacrificed too much to get PP God picks. So for example, you know there were times where um, in this series where perhaps like in the in the third game, like they could have taken LeBlanc in the early rotation. And so what they ended up doing was like first picking Lee Sin on blue side. And then with their second rotation on blue side, picking up 
you know, Zaya and Leona. And so a lot of teams that we've seen have been saving support, like red side support counterpicks or saving the support for later in the draft. And it felt like that there was such a premium. What game we're talking about here, by the way? Uh, game three between Victory 5 and Top East. Oh, like the V5 one. Yeah, sure. Okay. Um, it seemed like throughout this series, they were they were constantly picking support before the first round right. of bans, even when there were picks like LeBlanc available. And for me, it's like, PP got at such a limited champion pool and they were so obsessed with putting him on Leona or Rakan that it was the sacrifice that was made was getting priority picks that can be picked blind for rookie. And with all of the bands already targeted at rookie, it just made it very difficult for him to have an effect in this game. And like, I just don't like it as a general rule when you gimp your star player to prop up your worst player. So when he's just eating three target bands from the other team, three. (laughs) Three them motherfuckers, and then what? He's going to give up another champion to play. The fuck? So, like, I know PP God was not playing great, but at the same yeah. time, I think you have to enable. But he should have been by that logic. Yeah, he was getting given the fucking resources, Monty. He should be playing great. Yeah. The problem with that scenario there is what Monty's essentially saying is this instead of saying, right, rookie, it's going to be hard, but your time to carry, they were like, no, help PP God have an all right game. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Are you going to win the championship doing that? I'm just curious what your take on like that. If you think that was the correct thought process for, for V5. Uh, No, it's definitely not. I I think like the picks from rookie were, sorry, the picks that they got for rookie were really strange. Like the twisted fate kind of did nothing. Even the Azir coming out was like strange. It felt like, again, it was more kind of like, Hey, we're going to try and prop up late game. And rather than giving him the tools, he really needed to, to succeed. And you can even like looking at the picks that, um, came out for night on the opposite side, like getting things like the Syndra and these kind of things. It just felt like he always had more tools to kind of deal with rookie and keep him in check. So yeah, I mean, I think the, the that's kind of been a problem with PP God for a while though. It's like, he has been very, very coin flippy and they really want to play aggressive in the bot lane because that's the only thing that PP God's able to do. So if you don't end up with no, uh, Leon or Nautilus like, and you stick him on a Karma or something, for example, like he's going to run it. Like we've seen it so many times, even on Lulu, where he'll like basically play frontline Lulu in the bot lane. You're like, you're dead in the fr- like he's zero three in the first 10 minutes. So um, it is unfortunate. Um, and I'd look, I can kind of understand where they're coming from because even on things like the Renata, he was still uh, mispositioning the lane and that and giving kills across. And I think with the volatility that we saw out of the bot lane, basically with like Jackie Love and Mark across whatever series it was, like Gal and Ming were getting 2v2 kills, uh, Jackie Love and Mark were fighting back and getting their own cross series. I think they just really needed stability and they're hoping, look, maybe Rookie can just carry regardless um, alongside Carson. He can still play through the mid jungle, but they just never got a chance because, uh, because of how heavy, heavily Rookie was targeted. That's also why the LPL is always just so scuffed, though, dude. It's like you never actually get the real super team. Like, when we talk about these super teams that some of these players have played on, you notice in the LPL, we just pretend the support position doesn't exist. As long as you can fill the other four roles, we'll pretend it's a super team, boys. Like, this is a fucking region that's had Ming and Make with it the whole time, <laughs> but Knight and Rookie just have to play with these guys and support their whole career. Can we not just fucking... The worst one of all is this Dagda. RNG had already role swapped Chahu to top lane. Just recruit one of these motherfuckers. You've got the team right there. It's right there in front of you. And they never, they're always, because this is a team for Ryan, who is absolutely no. dog shit. Why does Rookie always have to have these supports, mate? It's a big role. It's a massive role in League now. Come on. Yeah. 
<laughs> I mean, look, I don't know. I, I'm, I, I think our support pool is fairly shocking anyway. Like, I mean, you look at Crisp, Ming, Mako. Yep, phenomenal. But then after that, you're kind of looking like, all right, well, who's big? Actually yeah, sure. Yeah. So I think like your only other option would have been like begging Billy Billy to give up Crisp, but they were never going to do that, right? Like, even if you look across like FX. This punishment must be more severe. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think Hung was pretty good in FPX, but again, he's kind of like coin flippy as well. So, like, apart from that, you don't really have anyone who's a, a major standout performer. Uh, so, I think that's the biggest issue is that like support is kind of forgotten because there just aren't really any major big supports apart from like those top three. So, you always end up with someone who's going to be stuck with a fairly shoddy support, and then you kind of gimp yourself. You're like, all right, well, maybe we can try and control this somehow, but it just falls apart. And I think it was heartbreaking to see like genuinely, like I was super excited to see V5, the mainstay, even the opportunity for like rookie and Faker to go back together would have been such a sick matchup. Oh, no, exactly. Yeah, just never happened. Yeah. I, I think I mean, it, it, it's joke is in the end, rookie will just have to bloody roll swap to support himself. And that's how we'll win worlds again. <laughs> won't he? He'll be playing with Jackie love and Jackie love will just be like leading him. Like you go in now. Like, well, I don't know about the strength. No, you go in now. I am the leader of the lane. Like, <laughs> yeah, whatever. But another day of paradise. <laughs> Because that's, by the way, the one part I've always found so whack. Like, you know, whenever we have these discussions, which just because of the nature of Reddit and the internet and the Anglosphere, they're always skewed in Eagle Edges to, why can't NA be as good as these regions? Dude, when they talk about the LPL, they talk like the region, like, collaborated and just made all the super teams and you can't beat them. Like Monty said, even when the split itself is, like, super strong in terms of number of strong teams, every top team either has, like, a ridiculous glaring hole in the roster or, like, has, like, some stylistic obvious blind spot that they could just be crushed by the right opponent so like the thing I find so whack is like if Westerners really are going to like romanticise that all the LPL teams are gods you may as well quit playing now like these teams all have ways which by the way they could tell you about each other it's obvious how you beat the other teams the point is though this is what I love about the LPL the good players on these teams and the parts about their styles that work work like a motherfucker so it doesn't mean because you think you know how to beat them you will beat them like it's a lot harder to actually execute than you think I actually don't think that there's like any hope for for like evil geniuses to take down rng the, the, the thing about rng is it's like you have to look at the way they are exploited which is an lcs team no lcs team this year has experienced the long-range engages that lpl teams are capable of guys and like the knowledge of exactly yes. how many people and how much damage are needed to create a pick especially in the, the early game comp. let's like, see them against one of these mechs comps, the mate. mechanical execution is also just like and like yes. the, the reason why rng is frequently behind is because they fall prey to these tactics and these tactics are difficult to execute yes. right and they play disrespectfully but disrespectfully when you when a team is capable of engaging on you from like a full screen away and it's like if you watch LPL, like it doesn't matter if you just saw that Viego in the river because there's, you know, the support on, on the Viego's team is flashing onto you and that Viego is charging his stun and flashing onto you. And like, they're just going to mechanically execute it perfectly. And it doesn't matter if you know that they're there or not, you are dead. Like that is it. So it's about, you have to anticipate the positioning before you even see them. Cause that's the only way you live or rise is like fucking coming under your turret with realm warp at like eight minutes into the game, or there's a Galio that's just ra randomly wandering around from mid lane, taunting you under your own turret. And you have, it's like a four V two in the bot lane. And like, these are the things that these teams do in order to set RNG behind. And those, those plays don't exist in the West. They don't exist.
Yeah, and I think the... So, obviously, like, I've done a little bit of NEC this split as well. And, like, watching the LCS, I think there's a very obvious thing that, like, is missing from the play, which is, like, just cross-mapping. Um, like, every single time I see a play in LPL, and, like, say they're going for a top lane dive, I instantly look at the minimap. I'm like, you can literally see the jungler go, oh, for fuck's sake, they're top. Now I got to go bot. Like, instantly just, like, screws everything, just go straight for the bot lane play, and they will cross-map every single time. Unless you're top you esports, and then you make a play top lane, and then you also make a play at Dragon simultaneously, yeah. and lose half of it but yeah true. you tried even when you was watching watching like lcs finals i saw it in, in lec as well like you will see the play happen top and the jungler instead of like just rotating to the bot side or finishing a reset and using the the tempo advantage that they have to make a play elsewhere in the map they will like invest more resources to try and like stop the play that's already in motion um, and you'll end up giving all of the advantage that you could have had, like from tempo or from reset into, oh, well, now we're invested in TP and the jungler's here. And maybe we went like two for one. So technically we got some stuff back, but the other team still came out on top, but you used all these resources as well. Instead, like when you look at what teams are doing the LPL, it's like our, the jungler will finish his recall. He'll go immediately bot, play off the bot wave that isn't set up. Or, you know, if they've invested like mid and jungle into a topside play, the mid laner will instantly start to rotate down. Now you're zoning the bot lane completely off the wave and they're losing out on turret plates or you're losing more gold. And it starts to even up the trade a lot more. Um, so I think that's kind of the, one of the big things that I've seen is just like, LEC and LCS teams haven't really got that down. And I think it's going to be really interesting to see when you do get to that international level. Because I've seen, like, I've seen T1 play this. I think uh, LCK do it reasonably well. But it's just something I think that's missing from the arsenal of, like, Western teams. Yeah, I mean, I think I think LCK generally has very, very good cross mapping where the thing about the thing about T1 that I think is so intimidating to a team like RNG and why it's a bad matchup for RNG is because they their punishes are so brutal. It's like you can do something on the map and they will get twice as much on the other side of the map and then they will just continue to like push the knife deeper into you, deeper, deeper, deeper. And that player is almost always capable of capitalizing on that advantage. Like every player knows how to take a lead and run with it, which is really what's wonderful about watching T1 right now. Uh, I do think... I've, I've spoken about their flaws previously. Like, I think they can get too aggressive at times. You know, I think they overplay their hand occasionally. Uh, I think they have a very predictable style of, of drafting and composition, like compositions that they play. The problem is, is can you actually stop them from doing well? Because nobody could, I mean, they're just so good at playing these comps and we have to assume that they can play other comps too. They just have never been forced to do it, but it could, it's a theoretical weakness if they're forced out of their comfort zone in terms of the, the styles of compositions that they play. But I just don't think RNG is going to be the team to do that and uh, suffering some of these early game losses um, you know, I don't think RNG is ever going to get to the point a lot of the time where they can show off what their talents are against T1. Now against, you know, the rest of the teams of that tournament, I think it'll be quite easy for them. Yeah. And I agree with you. I think even when you look at the way T1 plays, it's like every, everyone's constantly moving, right? When you look at like, oh, well, you got Zeus who's going to roam down from uh, top lane, make a play mid with Faker. Then suddenly you've got like Carries out in the roam, like he's going mid or he's suddenly in the top lane to make a play. Or, like everything feels like a constantly moving machine that you kind of got to like keep pace with. And I think that's the problem for RNG at the moment is that they kind of used to have that. I'll say in like 2021 where they were 
kind of constantly moving that play up towards Xiaohu. But it feels like at the moment, like Ming has kind of been stagnated down towards the bot side. Um, Xiaohu is trying to be that kind of conductor to hold together the early game, but you don't actually get everyone constantly moving where, oh, I've always got to be aware of, well, maybe jungler shows bot, that that doesn't mean the support isn't in mid or the top laner isn't in mid, right? And I think that's what you could see catch out um, Gen G in their finals as well. And I think that's what RNG are probably going to fall prey to. And I think that's what, well, top esports to a certain extent were able to do as well. Uh, and I just think when we get to a mid game, team one actually know how to close out a game and they're not going to, you know, lose literally two games because they coin flip Baron and lost the fights in, in their series, or they, you know, will know how to play side lanes or they can set up for team fights better. And I think RNG's early game is just going to be their biggest crutch. I do feel the problem is if I'm trying to like look at the positions on T1 and say like, what, what lane could I even have a chance in? Right. The problem is they have so many good players on T1. In my opinion, the best chance was if you had some like monster top laner, really maybe like a super veteran jungler, RNG doesn't have that setup. Like their jungler is going to be way worse than fucking order. And Bane is like, look, he was mega a few years ago. I don't know if he's like the problem is T1 as a team. I don't think it's going to matter against Zeus. Like it's just the, this is this isn't a team where you could take like the shy or Caster or someone like these players could maybe do something. I I don't think I don't think they'd even match up against T1, mate. I think T1's way better than everyone in the region for that. Like there's another reason EG going sucks for Monty. Like. What are they going to fucking do from those positions? Just get murdered is what's going to happen. Their top two is going to get murked completely. It's, it is. It is actually tragic that, it's be that bad, EG it? is. I mean, it's it's not tragic for EG because it's going to give their young yeah, players, sure. you know, I think really valuable international experience. And I think that if you look at the growth that we've seen from players like Danny and Jojo Pian, they are, you know, the growth of Danny. I, I said this on Twitter, but. Jojo Pian played exactly the same number of games in playoffs that he played in the entire regular split, which is as a rookie, you doubled the number of your yeah, professional yeah. games. You can see extraordinary development if your coaching staff is good, which these G's is. We saw him play a lot better throughout the playoffs compared to the regular season. So I think as an opportunity for EG to actually test themselves internationally and get that experience, like this is a team that can definitely come back stronger. However... I think their performance at this tournament is likely to be very bad. Um, you know, it's like, okay, well, good job, guys. You got away, like, dying 2v2 in the bot lane every, you know, every game and getting these horrible deficits, and then suddenly you're able to come back and you're prioritizing this jinx. By the way, jinx will be picked off against by some of these great teams that en can engage on your back line effectively, right? Or you'll just never even get to play because they play poke comps that you never, ever, ever, ever see in the West. Um, that you will never be able to contest an objective because all your, you know, two, two of your carries will be at 30% HP by the time you walk on the objective. So it, it's going to be, I think, very difficult for EG to play this style internationally. And also, as much as Jojo Pian has improved, he's the worst player on EG, guys. Like, I don't know what to tell you. He was the worst player in the playoffs. Um, Impact was great. Inspired was great. Danny was great. Uh, Vulcan was great. Like, these were all players who... Granted, we're all good, but he is still a big weakness in a team in a in a in a region where mid lane was very weak this year, guys. And he has to go up against Faker, Zhao Hu, and Caps. Like, you think that's gonna go well for him? 
<laughs> it's not. <laughs> Let's talk about about LCS because there's the thing, Monty. Right? It's going to sound like haterism because essentially we're going to have to set up so much context to explain how this could even work as a premise. But basically, the reason why I agree with you, I actually think Giorgio Pion was probably the worst player on this team, which isn't a problem. They won the championship. He's but a like, rookie, dude, like, come on. <laughs> I, have, I have never ever in my entire time watching the LCS seen a team win the LCS where mid lane had to do less. This is mental. This is a region if people don't know. The old simple approach to the LCS was spend as much money as you can on an import mid laner and have him just style on everyone. Abidage, fucking Jazuke, Jensen, Bjergsen. You go back in time, it's, that's what they always did. You just bring in the star mid laner and you, you, you let him go off in the game. Dude, like... The, re the reason this is so mad is because even though they 3 0 all those series, I never felt like he was doing anything. Like, he was getting kills in lane, or he was getting kills in a small skirmish fight where, they, you know, they go 3 and 2 and kills. And I can't remember him popping off in any games. Like, when was he ever, like, dominating Monty? This is supposed to be the most influential position in the game. That's why I say to me, the, the fact he didn't, didn't have to do much actually suggests to me they did an amazing job with how they conceptualized the team set up and well, the drafts. And they got lucky. They got lucky That's, because, well, because sure. Danny dying in a lot of these early 2v2s was never punished by these teams. Like you you really think that, you know, if if Danny dies in a 2v2 to Faker and Gumi, or to uh, uh Korea and Gumiyushi, that Faker's not going to be down there just camping him not under true. a turret uh, yes. with owner. Like there was no punish. There was no punish for the mistakes. Like 100 Thieves played an abysmal series, guys. Like tragically bad they should have won all of those games that they played because they had significant leads oh, but I forgot he had game. a fucking ult put that way he just <laughs> forgot that ult exists it's like they didn't want it they didn't want to pursue any leads and so even when danny was behind danny just for free basically gets back into these games then that that's just not going to happen against good teams the, um you know you make those mistakes and the you know the wrath of god comes down on you basically and also if we look at jojo pion's strength yeah he has been good in lane he hasn't been exceptional at split pushing. He hasn't been exceptional at team fighting. These are skills he's still working on and they are developing. But at the end of the day, like you can be good at laning. Are you, are you caps good at laning? Probably not. So then what's your strength? You know, I agree. Like watching, watching the finals, I was kind of looking at like how many missed opportunities essentially were there for like, don't get me wrong. I thought Jojo Pune like in lane looked relatively okay. But as you say, like, there was a lot of moments where he could have moved around the map on this rise uh, and just completely didn't look for them or wasn't available to use them. And I think, like, especially when you're waiting to play that two games out of the, the three, the realm warps weren't really there. Even, I think, in game one, it was a team fight where uh, he, rel like, at first Rift Herald, he realm warps into the middle of everyone and then instantly has to stop watching, nearly dies. And it was like, all right, you're just playing, like, way too overconfident in this scenario. If you just play a simple front to back, you're totally fine. So, I think there's this pretty sizable mistakes that he's making like out of lane that I think are going to be massively punished, even if it's not just by like better laners, but also just the way teams are going to be able to punish that in general. Um, and I again, mean, look, like all you have yeah. to say is look at the difference between a player like Knight or Faker yeah. or Rookie on Rise and look at what happens when they start to get unleashed on the map. Like they're like between your tier one and tier two turrets, realm warping in and fucking you up on a turret dive. And they're split pushing and they're all over the place. There's like teleporting into your back line. They're like getting low people out of fights. Like it's crazy. It's, I mean, th there have been, there have been amazing plays that T1 has made with Rise, like just teleporting Korea into the middle of a fight and then like having him CC everybody. I mean, there's, there's so many opportunities of what you can do with this champion. And y these veteran players, really really exploit that 
in, in a beautiful way. In LCS Globals don't exist. You can have fucking Tom Kent tries and TF in a game and no one ever bloody does the gang play. What the fuck? No lane gangs ever. Dude, if you watched LCS for the past couple it's of months and you watched them play Vex, you would think Vex is like the worst champion ever. And then you yeah. watch the LPL finals and you watch Zhao Hu just like completely shitting on people with Vex. And you're like, oh, I see why this is good now. Because when you hit that skill shot, your AD carry is dying. Like there is, yes. there's no, there's nothing you're going to be able to do. That Vex is going in there at two items. It's going to have Ludens and Shadow Flame, or it's going to have Ludens and Voice Staff, and somebody's dying. Like, and it's great. It's a really fun champion to watch in those cases. It's hard, you know. It's not the easiest champion to lane with a lot of the time, but also it doesn't require massive. It, it you don't need a lot of gold to be effective on Vex if you know what you're doing. Yeah, no, I, I think the whole region's gone. Go on. Uh, I was just gonna say, I think the the biggest upside for EG was just how good their team fighting was comparatively to 100 Thieves I, I just don't think on an international stage like that's gonna cut it right because that's like your bare minimum to get into get into the club right like so you're then going up against teams that not only like have this insane team fighting they kind of just outmatch you when it comes to his individual skill level as well uh, as you say like when you see the way the vexes are played when you see what is capable on things like uh, even like things like Isaiah, right Um, I didn't so this is to give context this wasn't me my brother was watching the sneaky medios one we were on a call as we were watching um but he's saying telling me that like sneaky was saying that for the first time this was a uh this was the first time he saw zaya actually look like she could do damage and look like the other regions and like i think that says a lot when zaya is basically pick or ban in a lot of other regions and this is the first time like teams are looking at lcs going oh, okay i can understand now why she looks good right so i don't know it feels like there's kind of a bit of a skill discrepancy when it comes to how much you can push out of a champion even in team fights as well so at least it is eg that like are kind of pushing that both forward and LCS, but it still feels like you're kind of a cut behind the likes of T1 and RNG, even when it comes to what you can do in the early stages, how you can play the map, and then what you're capable of in these champions and team fights. What's the problem for me is I, so much of the praise that I have for EG in this LCS running, it would have been the same, by the way, even if they'd lost the final, is for the coaching staff and how they drafted and their whole philosophy even around the priority of picks. Like the, I said this to Monty from as soon as we started watching them against C9. It's like they were the team that had their own draft pool. They had a totally different concept, what they wanted on their side. And then maybe they're trying to block a couple of your picks. But if you looked, it's like they let the other team, they were nearly always, and most of the time they were on blue side, you know, it's, they just let the other team take the normal picks on the red side they would just beat them over and over again and it wasn't until even the final it looked like teams started actually trying to adapt to the eg draft like finally people were like maybe we should take one of these horns away from a team that keeps being jinx it was really the jinx that was the most there was another one and also (laughs) you know what they do give them zeri every fucking game as well if you watch any other region you're like so your plan is to give them zeri first pick and then play against it like you know, everyone else just bans it, Perma. Like, what? So that, to me, like, not only did they have an interesting read, but they were playing against opponents that had a totally different read on the meta, as far as I could tell. I mean, it's I mean, just the- offensive for that C9 gives EG Zeri three games in a row. Like, that's 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 illegal. And you know Danny's just going to take the Zeri, or he's going to take the Jinx every game. And the, 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 the picks are very obvious from EG through the last few rounds of the playoffs. Like, they want to play for late game. They're going to play high-engage champions like they want to play stridebreaker nocturne with orn and get into your back line right you know they they want to play jarvin and and heavy engage onto you so it's not like the picks are a surprise they're playing a heavy front line they're playing tom kench and rise that can peel for this jinx 
Um, but if you if you can't play side lanes or you can't play pick or poke compositions, which Hundred Thieves apparently cannot do because they they drafted them, but then they played them very badly. Uh, yeah, of course, when you opt into a five v five against Orn, Jarvin, Rise, Jinx, and Tom Kench, you're going to get your ass handed to you. Like you just can't opt in. You have to get the early lead and not opt into those fights. I think as well, EG just have a really good, un, like individually, have a really good understanding of what they're supposed to do in those team fights, right? Because like I remember watching the Mordekaiser game, and like you see Impact constantly ulting who he, and like you think, oh well, he can get onto an AD carry, he can get onto a carry, that makes more sense. But it was like he kind of understood, look, if if this Nautilus able, isn't able to follow up on the Orn engage, we just win the fight anyway. So basically, taking your top lane out of the equation is just as important as taking that support out of the equation. And there was a ton of moments like that where I actually think to give EG their due, like they really understood what everyone needed to do every fight they yep. went into. And it yeah. felt like the communication was really on point. And that was kind of where I look at like 100 Thieves and it just felt like it was a bit all over the joint. They didn't, no need, really they didn't know how to play the comps. Like yeah. EG, EG basically, and this is why I give such credit to the coaching staff, is when you have newer players, and we, we talked about this, Peter Dunn confirmed it on this show at the beginning of the year where I was talking about their lock-in performance, where last year, Danny was basically a Tristana tower-pushing robot robot uh who would just split push by himself while you know jizuke drew all the aggro and he was a low basically a low economy yes. like minion effectively yes. and it's not that he wasn't good it's that they reduced the stress on him because they put his role in it in the team that was something that was easily understandable okay so fl you know flash forward to lock in well here they are now danny all of a sudden is getting more of the resources you even saw this with inspired saying we are now giving Danny, yep. like Danny's taking my my jungle camps. So Danny has graduated to the next level of play where he is the primary carry of this team now, and they are relying on him to do that. Now, Jojo Pian, they're using his laning, which is fine, but for the most part, he is a low economy mid laner. You can look at this and see that it's true, and they're not putting a lot of burden on him, and they're, they're literally drafting compositions that are the easiest to execute, right? Like, you, you're front to back team fighting, uh, with a lot of tanks and a lot of CC, right? These are these are training wheel comps in in League of Legends, and they are exploitable. But if you opt into late game five v fives versus them, you will just have a bad time. And if no team is able to beat them, then hundred thieves should either just have literally done the same thing and just opted into late game five v five scaling, which I did not understand why they weren't doing that. Um, kind of, they you saw that the last game a little bit, but not to the same degree that we saw from Evil Geniuses. Um, you know, it, it, so I, I think in a way, EG had a very easy road because they had a clear identity as a team that suited the players. Like this is just an alignment of optimizing the players you have with a style that complements them and then running with it. And apparently nobody in NA is capable of doing that except for evil geniuses. But even I found the drafts really interesting in general, because like obviously this is LCS is massively different from LPL or even kind of what I've seen over in LEC as well. Um, and like even when you're looking at like the ability to try and like play through the mid jungle or like move to sides, it's like, oh, well, most of the time that's in favor of EG, even if they don't fully utilize it. I was like, OK, we've well, got a very simple way to like have access sides set up for skirmishes. And it felt like a lot of the times 100 Thieves were just trying to push the boat in the early stages where it's like, oh, we're going to go for this invade. And then you look at the minimap, you're like, you've no priority anywhere and you're just going to get collapsed on very, very quickly. There's a ton of moments like that where it's like it didn't really make a huge amount of sense for me what 100 Thieves were trying to to achieve at points um, and even then seeing like things like the graves coming through was kind of a bit of a head scratcher but, for me where i'm like you've got lethality graves into 
like Mordecaiser, Jarvin and Leona. I'm like, you're not going to get anything done. Like you've no threat for the back line. And game one as well, I was like, oh, well, we got this Aatrox pick who's super fed. I'm like, this Aatrox is going to get to do nothing in this game at any point in time. Like you're trying to get onto the back line. And what was it? It was uh, the... The Jinx with a Tam Kench, you've got like Rise CC, Jarvin, Jarvin CC, and Orin, you're trying to get yeah, past. You're never getting and, back there. <laughs> and you're the only tank. It was like, you're never, like, you have to fight front to back, and you have no hope of winning that. It just felt weird to me, the the kind of draft parties that we're seeing for 100 Thieves in a lot of these games as well. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I think it was it was definitely an uphill battle, but it was, it was also just an execution error because they had pretty good leads in a lot of these games. It's just a matter of how do you play these leads out properly and create picks so that you avoid the 5v5 fights that will seal your doom uh, effectively. Um, but I, I think... EG also, what makes so whack to me, I want to ask you this, Monty, right? Here's the problem. If one team got outdrafted and then also had like underperformances. Fine, that can happen to one team. It's not just the draft alone. Obviously, it helps. Dude, all the top teams that played against DG had the same exact demo. Not only was the draft like clearly something they weren't prepared with answers for, or if there were answers, they couldn't make them work. Like either what would happen is either there'd be a scale and comp for EG, but they get ahead in the early game. You're like, well, now there's no chance. Or even you saw it in the 100 Thieves game, they get the early kill, but then they can't do anything with it. They can't have a snowball it. Because the problem, the thing that kept tricking me was this. There are so many principles analytically in League of Legends that didn't apply in these LCS playoffs. Like I said about Giorgio Pion, you didn't even have to be the best player from mid lane. You could just be the worst from mid lane and win. Similarly, right, if you're ever watching LEC, a standard rule of thumb that'll serve you so well if you want to pick who wins in the playoffs is, who has the better jungle mid that will win so many fucking lec play. i'd even argue it won the last one but you looked in this series mate again i was thinking closer and abadaki mate i only need one of them to pop off we're in the game neither nothing at all nothing at all in this whole series i mean closer he was the one just getting fucking like he was at war with his own fucking coach as far as i can tell what one of these picks why the fuck is he playing trundle and then graves what's going on so to me like the messaging on the other side of these teams, like these teams don't seem like they had any idea what to do after they get cracked. In the I, mean, first I, think, game. I think the problem with both of both hundred thieves and team liquid was they both tried to get cute. Uh, they didn't, both of these teams didn't want to play their own game. They wanted to play a counter game. Like it, we huh? saw this with Bwipo and his picks in the playoffs with closer. They picked the trundle because they wanted to, to basically dissuade EG from picking Orn. But unfortunately there were just, so many tanks that it actually didn't matter if Orn got Trundle ulted, because guess what? There's Jarvan Rise and Tom Kench there too. So that Jinx is not dying when you kill one of their tanks. Like, I hate to break it to you. Like, you know, there was, there were answers, I think, from evil geniuses banning the Lee Sin, also intelligent against Closer. But this is what I'm saying is like, 100 Thieves came in with a counter game plan against evil geniuses, not a, a, a comp or a style of comp that they themselves are particularly adept at executing. Whereas EG just had, it's like T1. They just had redundancies for all of the different things that could be banned or picked so that they have an answer to what you're doing while still playing the kind of game that they want to play. I also think that 100 Thieves just didn't really know what to do with the leads that they had when they got them. Because yes, like you look at it. game one, right? Like, they actually get a really nice turnaround gank in mid. Like three minutes into the game, you're like, oh, okay, or sorry, five minutes into the game, they're like, oh, okay, we actually got a nice play. We've got a nice lead for ourselves. Instantly, they throw it away at the next dragon fight. Like completely scuff the play entirely. And the, I mean, that, that TF fault was go. tragic at that dragon yeah. fight. Like, I mean, yeah. he just, he doesn't use it. Like, I think, they, I think they thought that they could get the dragon. I think that was a mistake where the dragon was very low. I think they thought they could get in and get out before... Mm they had to use the TF fault. And then when it, when they got there, when the other, when, um, when EG got there and the dragon was like at 500 HP, they finished the dragon. And then TF's like, 
oh shit, they're already there. And so I think yeah. that was a communication issue where they were yeah. they were trying to save the TF vault and get priority somewhere else on the map, but they made a mistake. But that doesn't excuse all of the other things that happened later, such as the Herald fight, which was also mega scuffed. Yeah. Um, you know, their inability to like use the TF to actually be proactive in either of the side lanes um, that were doing well or to shut down the Jinx. Because like, if you shut down, here's the thing. If you shut down the Jinx in that composition, there is no more damage. Yeah. So you're yeah, doing well. You just have to realize that Jinx is the priority and you are going to send everybody into the bottom of the map and dive her repeatedly. Mm -hmm. uh, so she's useless. Yeah. And I 100% agree. And I think that for game two as well was kind of a similar story for myself, where I was like, oh, yeah, if you just kind of play attention to your Zaya, like, Aphelios is your damage for 100 Thieves here. Like, why you were not playing down to this bot side, I don't understand. But even then, like, you're coming in and they play up towards top, they get a kill onto Mordekaiser, and I'm like, okay, cool, you go and do Rift Herald now. Like, you've three members here, you've pushed mid, like, you're totally fine to just turn for Rift Herald, they can't get here. And still, they all just reset, and then they have a Rift Herald fight, which they lose, because EG are just better at setting up for their fights. And then you're like, well, you can still work through these advantages that you have. You Like, even if you are worse at team fighting, that doesn't mean you have to, like, lose the game. You can actually still find ways to get these early advantages that you can work around, so you just get a big enough gold lead that it doesn't matter. Like, I mean, top esports like game three where they just literally got this huge advantage so they could just smack you across the face every time they walked up to you like with jackie loves draven that's how you can technically win these games so yep. this is where i was kind of like you can have if you're going to even like not play around your important part of the map you can still get other advantages that can then lend itself to your win condition but it just felt like 100 thieves never really understood what their win condition was or how much they could get off the map as well yeah, it was very uncharacteristic, especially because I think they had done better against Team Liquid. And, uh, you know, a part of this a part of this narrative, unfortunately, for evil geniuses, as much as they have you know, gotten better is going to be like the, the kind of general disappointment of these top level teams within within LCS. I put out a poll on Twitter and like 10K people or something like responded to it where I said, which is the more disappointing super team, Vitality or Team Liquid? And 65 percent of people voted for Vitality. But I, I don't think that's true. I think it's Team Liquid because the expectation of Vitality, the expect, the only expectation for Team Liquid was with this roster was that they were going to win LCS and that they should. This is on paper, these player names, the single best roster in LCS history. If you just I look at the names, people were implying. Yeah, it could have been in the West too. Like now, obviously G two is is difficult to overcome in that regard. But these names are. Uh, this should be an internationally competitive team. Sure. So third place is disappointing, like much less like not winning is disappointing enough, but they couldn't even make it to the final with, and yes. they got three owed guys. And yeah, the first two games were close. They could have gone team liquids way. This is true. Yeah, but they but, almost lost to EG before as well. Monty. They yes. almost lost twice to them. <laughs> yeah. So like team liquid is enormously disappointing. Whereas vitality. Yes. Vitality was also very disappointing guys. That's why these, we were saying who is the bigger disappointment of the super teams, but also LEC is a more competitive region with better teams in it. Um, I'll do that, by the way. You notice whenever they talk about vitality, they create they they don't overtly say it because it would be factually wrong. But they they their premise they set up is like they were supposed to be a super team and they just leave it at that. They don't mention like there was an even better super team in the same region that also didn't win in Fnatic, by the way. That's yep. where everyone had number one, even before the split, even during the split, even before the playoffs. Vitality True was supposed to be like a number two or number three, but like they weren't even supposed to be the clear cut winner of their region. Like yep. that's why I do think people have gone. The problem is this, Monty. People want so badly for Perks and Alfari to take the L because they were in LCS and everyone said they were feeding that they just let that like 
dis- dissuade them from the fact that, like, clearly TL failed harder. Yeah, yeah. was also playing against a bunch of fucking nobodies. If you're if you're losing, like, look who you actually play against if you're playing fucking Europe, mate. There's some really good teams yeah. there. And and TL has the most expensive roster in the entire history of the West well, right now. Let me ask you this question, because I saw <laughs> this as well. I even saw my boy Amazing, who I obviously love when he's on these shows. He did that thing where they come out and they go, but of course, I just respect so much that Bjergsen's still trying that. No, no, he gets paid a, a king's ransom to be this bad. He gets paid incredible amounts of, like, pretty swear. If I had to guess, he probably makes like seven times what Vethio makes, if I had to guess, even though Vethio is seven times the player Bjergsen is. Like, this isn't Bjergsen, by the way, Doing a Tim Duncan and like taking less money to be a good guy. He's just coming and getting absolutely paid like a motherfucker and then just turning out like average performances. And by the way, you know, all the fans that were like, hey, at least they'll get Bjergsen at MSI. You, you have been spared. You have been spared. It would have been so <laughs> fucking bad for you if Bjergsen went to this tournament. I can't even believe it because if anyone saw Bjergsen's Aryan rise, he was never going to do damage against Zhao a Faker, Caps. He would have been bodied for real. It's actually better for you guys he stayed back, I'm telling you. But yeah, the point I was going to make, Monty, was the other names are all supposed to definitely be the best because they're all like in their primes now. But even bringing Bjergsen back wasn't some like your know, shrewd like GM move. He was paying this guy top dollar. He's being paid as if he is Caps right now. Yeah. I mean, is, that's why the super team's so underwhelming. Come on. <laughs> there is no shot that any player in the West is getting paid more than Bjergsen is right now. Um, no shot. Uh, and so, especially when you're coming off of Jensen, because you have to remember the context of this move, too. Jensen actually performed quite well at Worlds uh, last yeah, year. carry games against people like Gen G, for fuck's sake. <laughs> like, remember, he was in another group that was supposed to be impossible, and he was straight up carrying games against the best teams in the world. Are yeah, you kidding so me? Jensen was the best player of that roster who got cut in favor of Bjergsen to, to a player who probably is receiving twice the amount of money that Jensen was getting paid last year. Uh, so I, this, the, the swap, like, you know, I guess I guess we'll see if it can propel Team Liquid to Worlds or not. But again, to go back to Vitality too, the problem with with thinking about Vitality's position is you have to consider not only the level of the league, but who overperformed and who underperformed. Like Rogue massively overperformed what people's expectations were because they made they they lost the MVP player and the All Star eighty carry that they had, and so this is a team that wasn't expected to do as well, and then came back and did very well. Right, G two was not expected to do as well as they did, and with you know Flacket and Targamas, like let's be real, they came back and did very well. Meanwhile, on the other side, and this isn't some fucking NA bias, dude. It's just that. Where did we expect teams to be at the start of the season versus where they were? And objectively, Cloud9 imploded. Uh, Summit just entered playoffs. They lost their coach that they had built the team around. So those expectations weren't met, even if I think that most people reasonably expected C9 to be like third, fourth place, right? Um, people were pre- pleasantly surprised by EG and Lockin, so it looked like they may be able to do some damage. But objectively... 100 Thieves, the defending champion, and Team Liquid underperformed relative. I mean, 100 Thieves spent a lot of the season underperforming, came back at the end, and then flopped in the finals. And Team Liquid just never really got their shit together at any point in time. So I think if you look at expectations, it's also Vitality was in a region where more teams were overperforming expectations, and EG was in a region where more teams were underperforming expectations. 
But I what about this stuck one? Come on. I was just going to say, part of this is why I'm actually really excited to see EG at international. Because actually having like new players like Joe, Yo, Pion, and Danny, like, don't get me wrong, they're going to get their asses handed to them. But I actually think I might just put a firework up there as well, where it's like, oh, well, you know, when we're in North America, this isn't the top. This isn't what sure. we're going to be going up against. I think when you got long, younger players like that who... Honestly, I think kind of taking a beating like that can actually give you a lot of motivation to be like, oh, I actually want to go to these and like a perform at a higher level. Yeah. Because I think Perfect what ends up happening right? is that you kind of end up with a lot of these guys that are at the top that are just kind of happy to sit there, to take the salary and go, well, I'm the best in my region and that's all that I'm, I'm ever going to achieve because I'm happy with that. And I actually think like seeing younger talent come up, that is like, well, actual talent from the region as well, I think is really cool to get that opportunity to actually go, oh, this is how I'm going to improve. This is how you actually get I, I like, mean, the next best from that region. And, and just think think about this, too. Um, when this pandemic started, Jojo Pion was like fucking watching ninja streams as a 14 or 15-year-old yeah. and flossing and not being able to go to do the things like yeah. boot camp in Korea. Like, he hasn't done this in League of Legends, right? And so these are – just even going to Korea and being in that practice environment is something that he has never done that – Obviously, he is going to hugely benefit from, in addition to the the world class scrims that EG is going to get. So, while I am pretty pessimistic about EG's chances at MSI, I do think that the the potential for growth for players like JoJo Pion and Danny as a result of going to these to, to these places that they've never been before, that they've never had the opportunity to go to before, is phenomenal for their for, for, the, for their potential growth like it has been stifled as a result of the lack of ability to travel internationally or to take advantages of the time that they could have been you know doing stuff in academy or what have you here's my problem cue a rant that is semi-prepared that's uh -oh. no, just uh -oh. something i've been thinking about <laughs> it goes like this that's all well and good if this was Worlds and they just got the third seed. Great. This plucky little bit like when Koch Gaming went, oh, a couple of like up-and-coming players, see how they do. The problem is this, boys, they're supposed to represent NA and actually have a chance to do something at the tournament. This isn't just an extended vanity boot camp where Jojo Pion gets to meet Faker and find out what happens and get a picture. He's supposed to play Faker and try and beat him. So my problem is this, right? There's one thing I want to address because I also am going to police banter now in the esports scene, right? As banter... <laughs> Peter Don actually had a pretty funny joke on Twitter, which says, because obviously everyone spent the whole split telling him, you should have just signed Jensen. Why not, why not Jensen and Doublelift? Obviously, since he 3 0 everyone and the finals, he did what was a good banter line. He said, with Jensen, we would have 4 0 because obviously the joke he's making is, we already 3 0 That's the hardest you could win. Like, what would Jensen have done? The problem with that is this. As banter, it's a great line. It's got a grain of truth. It's well executed. It's funny. It claps back as you... The problem is this. It is a nonsense statement, though. Like, first of all, Peter Don, I think you'd have won actually even harder in the LCS with Jensen. He's a really good player. And then secondly, as I just mentioned, he's already minted at the international level. Like, think about how many mid laners from NA have ever been good internationally. There was, like, the odd Bjergsen game. That's the end of the list. It's Jensen, the odd Bjergsen game, and that's the end of the list. And you notice I didn't say the odd Jensen game. I said it's Jensen, the odd Bjergsen game. That's the end of the list. There's no problem. There's no problem. They're all just victims. They are bodies in a body count at the back the boss fight. There's no one else doing anything ever from that region, right? So the idea that, like, Giorgio Pion going this time, right, by Worlds, is he going to be what Jensen was last time? Probably not. Is he going to be an extra? No one knows because only one guy ever did it out of the region. So all I'm going to say is that that that, that, that was a, a bridge too far for me, Peter Dunn. Like, the problem is, like, your team probably would be better with Jensen. Now, you it can go, but what about the future? Yeah, I'll tell you what, how about when the future happens? Come back and tell me. And then cut back at that one, go, well, Thorne, you said, tell you what, if you're right, in, like, like, if it's like Humanoid, by the way, if you actually are 
right, and he becomes better than Perks. Like humanoid might be better than Perks. Then fair play, I'll give it up to you. But that hasn't happened yet. That hasn't happened. And then there's one other argument that is a segue from this. And this is good, Dagna, because this, this is an abstract topic. We can pull it back from the specifics, which is, this is obviously reignited, as you'll have seen on social media, the whole topic of, should any import? Is there any talent? It's opened that whole smorgasbord. Now, I will say, everyone else is doing the opposite. They're making it like they're collapsing the narratives. And the one narrative goes like this. AG showed that if you just put mid laners and NA players in AD carry, they can win as well. That's really what people were making, the fucking narrative, right? I won't make this one too long because I want to get you guys out of this, but the short version goes like this. This is a team that did an amazing job drafting, that Monty just explained how they were able to make their mid laner not have to do much in terms of decision-making, how previously they worked with their AD carry that way, how all the drafts now made the AD carry basically like play the game like Time Crisis style on bloody rails, just taking his fights when he's like, oh, like manoeuvred to them like the game's doing there. And then after all that... What enabled that structure to work? You signed the fucking MVP of the European LC LEC as your jungler, import jungler, and then your top laner. Now you get to fuck around and pretend he is from NA. He is a Korean world champion who is probably the most consistent player in this his role reliable. <laughs> in the history of the game. And then you're going to step back and go... It's all about giving young NA talent to Fuck you. <laughs> Fuck you, dude. Because that's like me signing like fucking Messi and then fucking Ian Esther and then the best goalkeeper ever and having a couple of NA players in defence and going, the reason we're the best, of course, is the defenders from NA. Like, no, it isn't, is it? That's not the way your team should say it. It's not really a fair judgment, is it? So the whole point is, I'm going to come back out here. We can have the, there's obviously a really interesting wide debate. We can have a discussion about all these angles, but what do you guys think of that? Because I thought that was like a bit reductive. Like, I know it was an easy win for people to believe I do like the like rail like Danny being like basically a, a rails right. shooter yes. player. <laughs> which is so really... for you. All right. <laughs> the, the, difference, the difference is, is somehow Danny actually falls off the rails at the start of the, each level. <laughs> and, then, put him the, and, then, and then impact just like slaps him back I, on I, the I rails. Go. <laughs> <There you> go. <laughs> like, okay, Danny, you're good now. Goes too on the corner, it comes off. Exactly. Yes. Danny is the player who somehow falls off the rails and the rail shooter uh right at the start but yeah like i think i think this argument is very legit because like, it's just they they surrounded him with good players and like there's nothing wrong with this guys by oh, the way it's like, a good way to do it if you do what they is, of course. they, they yeah. built a great roster yes. and they around a concept and they have iteratively as we talked about with danny and now jojo improved the roster over time obviously improved the players they have ratcheted up carry stress on players very deliberately and very slowly i assume we're going to see you know them ratcheted up on jojo piano over this year and it's a good system that they have going and it's good coaching it's good drafting it's good focus on goals um all of these things are great about the eg org but just because they are good at these things doesn't mean that na jesus has come to save us yet now it could happen it could happen, guys. So if people take this out of context later, if JoJo... Well, good candidates for it. Yeah, in the Euro... Oh, here's the thing. If I had to guess from seeing eSports, I would say next year's the year where they could be, like, on their yeah. own, real top players. That yeah, play. for sure. For right now, though, by the way, here's the other thing that's key to point out. 
Nothing EG's doing is wrong. It's the opposite. They actually... Ha Here's the joke. If you actually take into consideration all the context I said, it's actually a really interesting blueprint around how you could make okay. NA talents work. Because, by the way, that's essentially what I've seen happen in Dota. In Dota, most of the captain players are all, like, the hard five positions. We get no resources. And then they just pilot some, like, wonderkind who plays mid or fucking carry. And then they just essentially pilot that guy's brain in the game and just use his mechanics. So that might even be how you could make NA talent work. Find the best, like, AD carry you can and then set him up so it's, it's not as hard anymore he's not just playing like any other character. you play the comps that work for him and then ease him into competitive as it were what do you think dagged on this whole topic because obviously it must be weird for you you're coming from a region that's overflowing with talent that's like essentially like we said with the wayward example you can sign the player in a blockbuster who's considered the best top player for the last three years and then he can play shit and you can go you know what never play him again just bring whoever the fuck's out there oh is he really good as well yeah well fuck it no problem like obviously lts doesn't have that scenario it's a bit of a different landscape so what were your thoughts on this whole topic and seeing eg win in this regard like I think it's kind of hard to look. I'm not going to be on the side of like, hey, you know, this was all about the 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 wonder kids that came up because I do agree. I mean, when you literally see like impact Vulcan and inspired like corralling people into the barren pit and like prodding Danny yes. to go kill them, like yes. there's not you can't really say like, oh yeah, well, Danny like absolutely popped up. But I must say, Danny was very very good. Like yeah. I know to kill that he got like the even though it was like very much set up for him. I still think he played that fight incredibly well. And I still think he mechanically played that well. And actually, that was the reason that he managed to pick it up, right? Um, so I do think that these guys have talent and that it's worth developing. And I think that's the biggest thing is that, like, even if it isn't necessarily true that, hey, it was the Wonder Kids, I still think it's worth kind of, like, leaning into that narrative a little bit as well so people actually get a chance. Because at the moment, you don't actually see most people really getting a chance coming up from the Academy League, right? And when you get guys like Danny and Jojo Pyun now who are going to that international stage, uh, it's really cool to see that they are given their chance. And again, kind of shout out to Peter Dunn because I think he's phenomenal at finding these players because he did it on Mad Lines and then you see him oh, doing sure. it again on EG. Same with Kelsey as well who was involved in this. Like they, they are actually willing to find these people and give them the chance and you're seeing the results, right? So even if you do have you know, impact inspired and Vulcan kind of being the puppeteers behind the scene. You can still kind of see the the capabilities there. And oftentimes that's what a lot of these newer players need, right? Like you look at like we had Bo over in the LPL as well, who uh, was an absolute monster when he came yes. in onto FPX with Chris basically doing the exact same thing where he was like, we always joked about him being the dog of the leash, just letting him do his thing. Like you can see that this actually works. Like this is something that you can just do. And it's a way you can kind of streamline these guys into much better positions than they ever would have been because they're literally sitting beside world's champions that can actually go, hey, look, this is probably what you should do in this situation or like kind of just streamline the effectiveness of the, the year that they're going to have. And when they get to that international stage as well, having someone that goes, look, hey, here's how you take your beating on your chin and what you can learn from it, right? So I think I think actually giving these guys a chance is, is super important. And if the narrative is a little bit skewed, I still think it kind of is worthwhile having that narrative just so more people get a chance. Also, Monty did have a good touche, which actually Peter Don even said touche as a return. By the way, in esports, that's quite cool if you just acknowledge when someone gets you. You don't have to keep up this shitty tit and for tap banter. But anyway... Obviously, when Peter Dunn himself, I think it was after the TL series, made some sort of comment about like NA talents or whatever, Monty was like, Yeah, but they imported you. It's like, We well, yeah, haven't got you on that one. We haven't got NA coaches, have they? Because that's the thing that it's also a joke aside, though. The difference between EG and the other teams. Here's the joke the LCS used to look over, and here's the analogy I'll give you, Dagda. They would have looked at a team like Mad Lions and go, What? They came from nowhere. Buy their best players. Instead, the question you should have asked is what EG did, which is, Who built that team? And just buy him. 
Why don't you buy him and have him make your team? That's the part I find crazy. Because, by the way, spoiler, in CSGO, this is exactly what Cloud9 is doing right now if you're a Cloud9 League of Legends fan. They haven't just signed, like, a really good Russian CSGO team. They've got the guy who built the fucking Moscow 5 and Gambit CSGO teams. The League of Legends one from back in the day and the CSGO one now. So, really, they're getting the GM as well. So, that means even yeah. if this team doesn't work out, he can that can be multiple teams. That could be 10 years of Cloud9 for all you know. So, like, that's the, that's the area I do think is underrated. Because I always said, by the way, I know, obviously, this ties into the whole LS set angle. That's what I don't get is I would have had these guys from years ago, at least on staffs, so I would have had them as primary head coaches, but like people like LS, Peter Don, way back in the day, veteran, etc. these people, like they had their own specialist skill sets, you know, you could have had them on your team and benefited from it, but no one really did. And then you see now two different orgs are giving Peter Don the keys. Look at the results. So I think some of these people need to be empowered. Like we've set up coaches for a million years. It's, that's why you need the GM role as well. Because when you have the GM and the coach, you have another buffer between the idiot management and the fucking coach, don't you? He's not going direct. I will I will say for fans that are like huffing the hopium right now, please do remember that while I love Peter Dunn, the first international result that Mad Lions had with a bunch of new players maybe wasn't so great. So maybe, maybe I would just say like that's probably what we should expect from this iteration of EG at MSI. Uh, obviously won't look so bad because there's only one team from every region going, so they can only get bodied so hard. Uh, but, <laughs> um, you know, these things take time, is my point. And I don't think that's an indictment of Peter Dunn. I just think it, he is a deliberate person who builds systems over a number of years. And as long as he has the buy-in from the org, you can see that the fruits of that labor over time can be, in fact, worth it. Um, but yeah, I... I do I do find it funny that the whole the whole emphasis has been on NA talent because it, also it's it's somehow just lost that Cloud9 has been doing this for a number of years too. Part of the NA talent is Vulcan on the EG roster who was you know basically I mean he was a professional player before he was on Cloud9 but he reached like new peaks on Cloud9 and historically Cloud9 has had players like Blabber remember the NA two-time MVP of LCS are we just going to pretend that a two-time MVP isn't, in fact, a native-born uh, North American talent. Like, the, the the problem here is really the messaging. Like, Cloud9 has not gone out of their way over the years to be like, we are the source of North American talent, even though objectively that is true with the number of players that they have put into championship, like, situations on their team or on other people's teams. And EG has just been pumping They've been pumping the PR really hard on this one, which is why it seems like it's just happening now. But if you actually use your brain and think about it, it's not it's not super unique. So that's my take. <laughs> yeah. I just like personally, I just think even if the narrative isn't fully correct, sometimes it's kind of worth leaning into because the guys at the top who kind of make these decisions aren't also the guys that are on the ground. So if the narrative is, hey, you know, there is cool NA talent. Maybe the the idiots who don't really know what they're doing might actually take it on board. And but but, but again, I think that's disingenuous. If you look at Papa Smithy's actions on 100 Thieves over the past couple of years, he has not only built out a very strong academy roster, but he has a high school roster, 100 Thieves yeah, next true. as well. And like, you know, when Papa Smithy came in and again, it's going to take time for these players to grow to the point where they are LCS capable on 100 Thieves or on other teams. But, you know, that's why we have... A, a lot of these up and coming players that are pretty hyped on the hundred thieves roster. Um, 
you know, again, they were in the finals of of Proving Grounds. Uh, and so the teams have built these infrastructures now, but just like... This is an up-and-coming young player called Zveno I saw one Champions Cup. I hope he gets a team. He, he looks like he has some real promise. Uh, well, we'll see if he comes back uh, this next this next split somewhere somewhere or uh, on Cloud9, depending on what they decide to do Hopefully with their Cloud roster. Nine. Hopefully Cloud9. Hopefully Cloud9. Um so anyway, this is all to say though that like teams other teams have been building these infrastructures. It hasn't just been EG. EG was just willing to put these guys in very early on or had roster holes that they needed filled and so to, you know took the necessary risks. Like you don't have to replace someday right now if you're 100 thieves, which is where their kind of up and coming top laner might come into play, right? Uh some of the other players they have are not even 17 yet, so it's not even an option. Um but the teams have been much much better about doing this, but it's just like China in the first couple of years of China building out these like very strong youth teams. It took till 2018 for these things to actually start bearing fruit. Cause remember the shy was a Korean who was taken into these systems in China trained for years when he was like 15 years old living in China. And then once he's able to play pop, here he comes up winning a world championship on, on IG, but he is the product of a Chinese training system, right? He's not a product of a Korean training system. Um, so th these are the factors that I think come in and it's, we are going to see more, more talent, I think coming out of NA because it's not just EG, other teams have been building these, these structures, which is good. So anyway, your way, message to the other owners is like, I think they are doing it. Uh, some of them at least already. Even though I like briefly name checked him earlier, because obviously my point was like, it's not as simple as get any talent when you also have to put an asterisk and go and then go and get a Korean that's been playing for 10 years, whose grandfather did. Like, fuck off already. Like, you've like, that checklist is already ruined, isn't it? It's not safe. Everyone can't go and do that. Spoiler, there's only one of them. There's like maybe three now if you count Hoonie and someday as well. Like, it's about, that's about it. So I actually think individually, though, he also deserves mad credit for this run. Look at what impact did in these bloody playoffs, mate. This guy is actually like perennially underrated. Because why do these orcs keep letting him go? Like, I even said this when Cloud9 did. I was like, I, that's one of the worst moves Cloud9 ever made as far as I'm concerned. Just let Impact go. And then, then he immediately made a fucking dynasty in Team Liquid. So, like, I don't get what these orcs don't see in this guy. Like, to me, if you're in NA... From the moment he became grandfathered in, that was immediately one of your cheat codes to being the best NA team. Is sign impact. Then you put another star import and another role. Spoiler, we've already got like half the team immediately right there. Like you've got the blueprint for a fucking domestic championship and go to Worlds. Like his consistency is fucking insane in LCS. If you ever look it up, I think he's missed playoffs once the split when Doublelift ended up leaving. Every other time, he's always in the semifinals. He's been in the final with like three different orgs or something mental like that. Like this guy is unbelievable. And also, I always point this out Monty everyone remembers when he plays the dog games and the tank games every playoff run he always has a game like he did on the Mordekaiser here where he will just play a pick that isn't even the best champ plays bloody Aatrox in the modern day and he'll just be like good on it mate like he didn't in this pick the series but you know what I mean like he'll just pick like a out of the pocket like in theory like more of a carry champ he'll just do well like this guy's just a mega performer what a fucking sick player yeah um and I think like the thing about the thing about impact too is that he's like you said earlier he's just so consistent in his performances that and he also ramps up in playoffs seemingly every time. Yeah, it's really you know that as well. You know they he, all he plays play better in burnout. He seems like the guy I would go and ask, dude, because this guy manages to get his level back every time. Even though yes, at the beginning of every spring split, it looks like he's like didn't really have his preseason and he's just like warming up on company time. Like that, but he does it. He made every time the playoffs come, he is but he's right simmering at the temperature 
you'd want him at, isn't he? Like, this guy's just mastered. There's another part, by the way, that rookies will never be able to do, except for the very rare ones, is people who are veterans also learn, like, how to be a professional. Like, people like Perks just know how to warm up and get in the playoffs at the right time. They know sort of, like, which weeks I have to be at this point. And they know, by the way, that unlike the rogues of the world, you don't make it, like, a sprint straight out the gates. You don't be at your best on week one. Like, they sort of, like, get the ebbs and flows of being a pro. And Impact clearly's done that. Like, if I were some of these GMs, I'd be trying to figure out how does he do it? Because he clearly doesn't do like the traditional Korean approach of like 14 hours a day League of Legends. But it's, it, and I can't think, I, I struggle to think of a time he ever let his team down in the playoffs. Yeah. No, I mean, especially in NA, right? Like, they're, pro. They're really, yeah. <laughs> he's, he's an incredibly good known quantity to build a team around, yes. which is part of, you know, why EG wanted to pick him up. If you look at the, the switch over, it couldn't have been more drastic from Hooney to Impact, right? Like these are <laughs> these are players with very uh, very opposite play styles. I would and this say. guy, even when he was in Korea, he was playing with bloody Faker in his prime and Piglet at the height of his ego. This guy is just listen. He's fine playing weak side boys. He's never even <laughs> dreamed of a world where he's the true carry player. Like you just give him the odd game. That's all he asks. Like otherwise, just give him the best of the dog champions. Let him go to work. Let him earn that money. <laughs> All right, we want to talk about MSI a little bit. Do you, All right. It, so, it sounds like I think we've already gotten into it. It sounds like you you think RNG playing from China in a hermetically oh, sealed container, yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, forcing everybody under thirty five ping. Uh, you you still think that they are probably not going to beat T one at this event? Yeah, I think like I don't think RNG or top esports would have. Like, I don't think, like, we actually had this conversation internally, um, and Lyric was kind of saying he thinks that Top Esports probably had the better chance at doing it, just because um, he thinks, like, the early game, maybe they can upset T1 in the early stages, and then they can find some sort of win. Uh, personally, I think RNG were probably the slightly better team to try and do it, because if they can kind of close up the early game, well, then they're better in the mid-game, right? And you're not just going to fall behind to to map play like to, uh, top esports were, or like just a turtle style that T1 can play, or LCK in general can play. So, um, But both of us kind of agreed, and, and Ox included as well, we're just like, I don't think we're really going to stand a chance. Um, this is the weakest I think the LPL representative has looked in quite a few years. Um, and it just doesn't, it, there's just too many holes in the game plan. Um, and it's kind of like, Hey, look, maybe you can band-aid band -aid them over. But when you actually look at like how ferocious T1 are early game, how well they play the mid game. Um, and yes, they can overextend the points, but I still think they, they're just over a best of five going to be able to take it. Yeah, Here's I, my I, point is that because everyone's going to be on 35 ping and that's not what T1 usually plays on, this is low-key actually activating Xiaohu's trap card because now no one has hands. It's all about the man. <laughs> and he's a chess master. So it's just the anime storyline. In real life, I doubt it'll fucking up at all. <laughs> and his uh, jungler's going to get absolutely murked on 35 ping, by the way. Absolutely yeah. murked. I, I do think, <laughs> I do think, as I mentioned to you, Dagda, at the start, that we do have to go into this series with some tempered expectations expectations because uh t1 you know didn't look as good in the finals as they had throughout a lot of the season because they literally had covid while they were playing the game and yeah. felt like shit and they made a lot of mistakes that they i think they wouldn't have made um in another situation however rng playing online teams always play different online than they do on stage and things can get a little scrappier and a little scrimmier because you're in more of you know if you're sitting in the same room that you scrim in it's hard to 
you know, change, shift gears into stage mode and play more cautiously or play more conservatively for a lot of players, especially ones that are very used to playing on stage. Um, so there's a possibility that we kind of saw a worse version of RNG throughout these playoffs than what they might play on stage. But then again, they're, pl they're going to be playing remotely once yeah. more, right? Yeah. So they could flip into that mode again. So I think that's another... And just another point of consideration is I felt like in both of these finals, for different reasons, we did not see the best iteration of either of these teams. Yeah, I think that is fair. Um, I always I do think, though, that like despite that, we had seen like issues from way already. Um, RNG definitely looked like more consistent than what we saw from them in playoffs. Like, well, I suppose the later portion of playoffs. But um, I still think that I... The, the issues were already there for RNG. I think they were just more exaggerated because of who top esports were, right? Um, top esports were all about early aggression. That's exactly what RNG were struggling at. So I think it just hyper um, exaggerated the issues that were there for RNG. But I still think like when T1 should be good enough to try and exploit that, even if it's not to the same extent as top esports, I still think they should be able to. Because I know LCK obviously a slower region and not going to like have 10 kills by the 15 minute mark, right? Like you're going to be taken at a much slower pace, but I still think with the way the T1 are able to orchestrate themselves in the map, I still think they're going to be able to catch out RNG at times. And I think a lot of it is again, kind of coming back to how T1 kind of have that rolling play style of everyone moving around the map, at least from what I could see from them briefly in finals. Like you could see like Zeus roaming from top side to help mid. You would have like support roaming to top or to mid to try and help things out. Faker moving to either side lanes as well. It constantly felt like they were looking for the angle of attack in that early game. And I think that's where RNG struggle the most because Bin likes to overextend, right? Bin like tends to just play these hyper-aggressive lanes where he just wants to push consistently where he could end up getting caught out. And at the beginning of the split, I think he was more prone to this. I think he got better as the split went on. But certainly like he had, if he didn't get that early attention from Wei, he would end up getting caught out at times. Um, I think the bot lane as well, uh, I'm a bit worried about if they're, if you're not going to have Ming able to kind of get out and be much more of a roam oriented player that like we'd seen from in the past, more so than what we've seen in the current iteration of RNG, I just think that carry is going to be able to kind of find bigger impacts. Um, and I think it's more so the play style that RNG have shifted into from 2021 into 2022, which I think T1 are just going to be able to deal with easier. Yeah. I mean, I think that's fair. Unfortunately, like the tournament itself is unlikely to be very exciting outside of potentially some like best of one minor region upsets, which, you know, always happen. They always happen at these events. So certainly, you know, I'm sure people will get going a little bit again, but it does seem like we have a relatively clear one through four in terms of, you know, T1 followed by RNG, followed by G2, followed by... So I will this say, what I'm do, we had this All the world, and I was completely wrong about EDG. So who the hell? <laughs> I'm completely wrong again, you know? <laughs> yeah. Here's what, the thing all I'm going to do is this, Monty. I'm going to wait until T1 wins competition and everyone starts celebrating and talking about I'm going to go, what are you talking about, guys? You all told me for the last three or four years, coincidentally, when uh, Korea wasn't winning MSI, that MSI doesn't really matter. It's a meaningless tournament. You shouldn't even try. You should just save yourself a world. So obviously, I'll just say LPL teams are doing that. So balls back in your court, LCK. All right. See if I'm, you can maybe not destroy all your own mental over a fucking shitty exhibition tournament. Don't say anything, Dag Dutch. Stay nice and poke face, mate. It's all right. Dag Dutch loves Asian games. I know it's bleeding into this. Hangzhou Asian Games number one, right? Yes, exactly. Exactly. Dagda thinks the LPL should be crunched into four or five weeks so that we can have Hangzhou Asian Games. 
There we go. Oh, and by uh, the way, it goes without saying that when G2, who all play on 35 ping anyway, low-key beat RNG in a best of five, the internet will melt down. But I'm waiting for it. I'm here for it, okay? I like it when shit... I like the joke. I just like it when shit gets crazy. So I'm, I'm here for it, boys. So I want, to, I want to address a rumor that popped up today, which is that uh, Uzi might be going to JDG, according to, like, leaks from Uzi's agent, okay. um, which... Pretty interesting, especially because I watching Timothy. Cool. <laughs> so, what, what, is, what is your control? What is your take on this? What is your take? I feel on sorry this? for Hope. <laughs> honestly, like Hope, honestly, has been a really good AD carry. Like not only this split, but like he was EDG twenty twenty. He genuinely looked really good. And then Viper came along, and you can't really argue with like Viper. Like the guy's a monster. But Hope is actually one of the good AD carries that we have in the league. So he, it feels like he's only just got back into being. Uh, like a possibility in the LPL and now to potentially be put down to the LDL again is kind of sad. Um, but I don't know. Like, look, I'm a big Uzi fan. I don't know if people can see it. I've even got like a little Uzi box over here with like a beer that's signed by him and Uzi caps that I got from China and everything. Like, I, I love Uzi. Been a fan of him since season three. I think he sucked this split. Like, he had his moments where he looked really, really good. But realistically, he didn't look comfortable playing things like the Jinx and these mobile carries where it's not about your mechanics. It's about like how well you position. And he got caught out a lot. And um, I did. Well, a bit of a Zarian caveat. Not, his Zeri and Ezreal were good. Yeah. Yeah. I think he, definitely his Ezreal was really, really good. That series against V5, that was, but like, it was basically rookie versus Uzi was unbelievable. If you if you have a bit of time, and you haven't seen it. Well, we're going to give it a watch. Game three was just class. But I still think like the Jinxes didn't look so good. Uh, I don't think he actually played the Aphelios in the end as well. Um, I'll have to double check that. But like there were certain picks where he just didn't look like he was up to the meta. And I think maybe if we start to see a shift into like more things like Ezreal and Zeris and things you can be a bit more of a performer on, I think he'd be all right. But um, and, uh, sorry, as a caveat to that as well, it did feel like he had a little bit of a, like a global taunt on him because there was like one fight where that I remember where uh, he's like walking in front of the entrance to Baron Pit. He's got his mid laner Fofo on Victor completely on his own. And all the Jarvan has to do is just go for Fofo. And three people flash over Baron Wall instead of just killing Fofo to kill Uzi. And I was like, you have the Victor right there. So easy to kill. And they're like, Uzi though. So he definitely had a bit of a taunt on him where everyone wanted to kill him. But I still think like there were... I think Doggo at the end of the day was the right choice for the team. I think he was more consistent. Like even was, if he's got a player right now. Yeah, yeah, and I think Doggo, like, I think Andy, he's, Andy like, doesn't require you to play a permanent protect the poppy exactly. shit over yeah. whatever the fuck does he get. That's the downside. The downside of Uzi I is this. Uzi I came back, Bjergsen style, like, nothing's changed, boys, I'm back. It's like, dude, it's been years since you played. We can't put all the resources in you. Like, that only worked when you were the absolute best. Yeah. And I, that's the problem is that like he's not at the, the tippy top that he was. I think the 80 carries we have in the league as well have leveled up. Oh, like, some mega massively. players now that position, so, yes. Exactly. So when you start to look at it, it's like, is it really worth trying to give all these resources to him? Not really. Um, oh. And in a position where even he gets them, can he really carry? Like, I don't really think he's able to in the same. Like, I'd rather give those resources to Viper, to be perfectly honest. Like, Agreed. if I'm looking at the mega carry, I'm yeah. looking at Viper. Well, I also think he didn't. I think he didn't play badly. And he, he got no. some good leads in the games that I saw. But the problem is, like, that's not the problem with Billy Billy Gaming. Like he would get big leads and they just would be unable to play around them at certain points in time. So I felt like there were, it didn't really matter whether it was Doggo or Uzi because they would have lost either way in a lot of these situations um, because they had deeper teamwork problems than Uzi was going to be able to fix from the 80 carry position. And for JDG, I mean, I actually hate watching this team. 
I, I hated watching them through the whole playoffs because a- anytime anytime they get into a fight in the enemy jungle, they will literally just pursue somebody through the entire, they will literally run after somebody through the entire map, no matter what. They're like a dog chasing a bone, right? And so- they always get but- a man. That's the thing. <laughs> I mean, sometimes they get hit by the car. Right? Just marshals of, uh, of JDG. Sometimes they, get the get sometimes they get hit by a car. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so the, the thing about JDG is like, they're for me, they're very frustrating to watch because I think they over-pursue um, significantly a lot of the time. And my question is, does Uzi prevent them from, does he fix any flaws that this team has? And my answer is no. So like, what's the point? I think he also throws a wrench into the work to the way JDG want to play, right? Because like, they're very much a case of, hey, look, we want to like play off of bot lane pressure. We look for some invades, get like some vision control, see if we can look for picks and this kind of stuff and play pretty heavily around dragons. And like, that's a lot of the the way that they kind of worked around their mid game, but I sorry, their early game. But Uzi wants to play for lane, right? Like Uzi just wants to out 2v2 you. And you're paired with Missing, who is not a very strong support when it comes to the laning phase. Like that was actually one of the big reasons he cited like coming off of WE was that like he wasn't able to go and roam. He didn't feel comfortable playing with Elk in the 2v2 because Elk wanted to be aggressive. And now you're bringing in Uzi, who's basically just the same version as that, if not more so. So you're not actually going to be able to win the 2v2 in the way Uzi wants. You're not going to be able to play for Kanavi in the way that Kanavi wants to because, well, you're now putting all your resource into bot lane or at least Uzi's going to be trying to play for himself in bot lane. So it kind of just throws a wrench into the works around the way JDG want to play. So I don't really know. Uh, I felt like Hope was actually kind of a good fit for that team because it felt like, hey, you know, he's stable. He's going to be able to play his lane state out correctly, like perfectly happy to go and play for for invades or for dragons if you need to. And you're kind of giving 369 a bit of free reign as well to be a mega carry if he wants to be. But when given the opportunity, things like Kennen. So I think putting Uzi into that kind of just throws a lot of the the work that we saw and the growth that we saw from JDG at the window over the course of the split. So unless they're starting to replace like his his support and stuff as well, I just don't really see that team working with someone like Uzi on us. Yeah, unfortunately. Do you think there's a team that you would like to see Uzi on that you think would be better than this one? And... If you could put him on a team? Surely the problem now, like I say, is unless he's going to like level up his fucking amount of activity, he needs to be on a team where they're allowed to just play hard through him. So it can't be a top team, unfortunately, I don't think. Probably has to be like a mid-table team, right? Yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. Like, I don't really know if there is a team where he'd be able to slot into right now. Like, I feel like even the top teams all have insane AD carries, right? A lot of good Honestly, maybe, someone, maybe into... I know this might be a bit weird, but someone like V5, like Rookie, honestly, when he had Jackie Love on the team, was able to play a relatively like low econ game. Like even when you look at 2020, I think he had like 23% of the team's gold or some insanely low figure and was still popping the That's hell carrying, off, yeah. like 28% of the team's damage or something. So um, honestly, I think that could be the situation because now you have a strong bot laner that you can try and focus around that it's not just the case. Yeah, but you also have well. PP God, so yeah. Yeah, <laughs> so <laughs> that's gonna be like, all right, let's see who else we can play game. But yeah, I think that's where the next question will be. But honestly, like Gal and Ming, I think are pretty set in RNG. Um, LNG, I don't think the issue is their bot lane. I don't think Light and Luma or Light and Wandy are the actual issue on that team. Like, they've got a ton of issues with the way that their mid jungle works and how they and I think most people think Light's a bit of a sleeper, right? He's usually pretty good, yeah. Yeah, and then you got Jackie Love, you got Juan Fong, you got Viper, then you're into like Doggo Uzi. Um, Rare Adam could probably use them, um, but I think that team has a ton of issues again that I don't think Uzi solves, um, replacing Eyeboy. And then you know, LWX and Hung are the only real good thing about um, 
FPX. So, I mean, that's out of our playoff team. So, I mean, you don't really get to, there's no one really there. You're like, oh yeah, well, Uzi slots in there and instantly fixes everything they have. The other thing I find weird as well is this. When I watch the other regions, Dagda, at the end, I actually feel like very satisfied. Like I kind of know like all the narratives sort of got resolved genuinely. Like EG got to beat all the top teams to win their league. Like G2 actually went through all the big names to win. L T1 played everyone. But actually the LPL, every split ends. And I, I always have more questions than answers because like this playoff was a great example. There were so many teams near the top that just the bracket alone was going to determine who won this tournament, not who was the best necessarily. Like, I look at this bracket, dude, and I think to myself, like, mate, what if EG, EDG was on the other side? What if, like, fucking JD, Jing Dong doesn't fluke that series at the end? What if RNG doesn't even get into the double ending point? Like, mate, I, I think if you replay this whole playoffs for the LPL, you could have more teams win it than any other region. You could have, like, three or four different teams yeah. be the champion here, right? And go to yeah, MSI. I agree. I mean, even looking at like the potential for V5, right? It feels like oh, if they're on the opposite side of the bracket, I think they, and then RNG ends up knocking out top, or maybe we're in an entirely different story, right? And yes. I do think like some of the teams we had at the bottom though, like I think, unfortunately for EDG, I think they just had too many issues this split. Like I would have loved to see EDG kind of going back like, oh yeah, world champions go to MSI, but um, JJ took a massive step down. It felt like Flandre was all over the place as well. So I don't know. It felt like at least from like, jdg kind of like say round three onwards and we got like jdg even weibo in there to a certain extent you kind of felt like maybe these teams could um all come out on top and i think that was even the conversations we were having leading into this was like it really you don't know what way this top four are going to yes. go and i think even if you look at like our predictions pretty much every single desk was split between the analysts yes. the play plays everything like no one really knew but i don't again kind of agree with you i don't feel like we got an answer right it kind of felt like oh well Yes, RNG can play a better mid game than top esports. That's my answer from finals, right? But I don't like, I still think personally, V5 are probably the better team than RNG. Like, they actually had a, a stronger mid jungle. They were able to play a mid game. So if we got V5 versus RNG, like, what would that have looked like? So I don't know. I, I agree. I think there's like a ton of different ways that this bracket could have panned out. And it kind of felt like it was just a case of whichever, like, even when you look, I think it was like, yeah, one, yeah. Game score came down to basically decide like the are uh, three to six. So exactly. if you had picked up one extra game across the course, yes, that that would have you're on a different side of the bracket. This whole thing could have gone different. So yeah, it was all a bit nuts, and it does feel like I don't know. Not I won't say it's like uh, it's it's not. It's delighted to see RNG go, and I'm not going to say it's like hollow or anything like that. But I definitely feel like I don't got a concrete answer that RNG are the best team in the LPL because it feels like I want to kind of run this basically yes. these top three to another like red robin of these best Absolutely. of five just to see what way it goes. Indeed. Oh, by the way, just because we didn't talk about them much, you mentioned Weibo, basically. This is the team, if yeah. people don't know, that the Shy went to. But believe it or not, the Shy actually, I don't know if he got fucking, finally he had one night where he couldn't sleep and thought, have I been in 10 games? He was actually pretty good this split. Like, he cleaned his yeah. act up a bit, it looked like. If yeah, people know how bad it got in IG at the end, he actually sort of turned his shit around, right? Yeah, and I think it was really cool to see. And I'm also kind of excited because there's a lot of rumors around like what happened at the start of the split, which was like Rookie and the Shy were supposed to go to the same team. And then there was a thing at the last minute, so the Shy couldn't join Rookie. So I think it'd be cool to see like how he actually, if he if that character development sticks or if he gets back to play with Rookie and we kind of get what we saw on IG. But I definitely think it was cool to see his kind of growth and even just the, the style, right? Because like you look at like, I think when he was on IG, actually, he kind of just threw his bot lane under the bus. It was like, hey, you know, I, I could play tanks, but 
that would require me to have a strong team that can that I can play tanks. Exactly. He comes onto Weibo and he's actually playing tanks, and we're like, "Jesus, you were you were kidding!" Like the whole time, you actually could play tanks. He looked really good on them. So I definitely think it's like if you can get him in the right mindset, and if he actually has a team around him that he can trust, he's going to look great. Um, and I'm excited to see like, hey, look, maybe he ends up going to V5 and we end up with like the shy of replacing Rich. Maybe that could be an incredible team where you've actually got someone who can carry from the top. You've got like a tank player that can actually set up for someone like Fotic as well. That could be cool. But I honestly have no idea what like he's going to look like in summer because it definitely feels like a case of, hey, if he has a team around him where he's like, OK, I'm willing to to sacrifice myself for the team rather than I have to carry. We can see this performance from him. Or we'll end up going back to IG where he's like, no, I have to be the carry. I have to play like a maniac and hope that I can coin flip every game. By the way, even though it's like an obscure take, I actually low-key blame Rookie for the Shy's weird attitude in teams. And here's why. Because if you ever see interviews with the Shy, he is totally convinced that in all those teams that they had, him and Rookie are like the package, like we're talking about now. And that like, if you read the interviews, he thinks they're like similar players. And he would always talk in these interviews about how like it's everyone else on the team who's inting. And then him and Rookie have to like carry. And I would just be reading these interviews like, holy shit, like Rookie, are you never going to fucking say something at this point in time? Like, because like, dude, like my joke is like, in terms of like actually playing like responsible league legends like leading the team like he deserves credit in the same way as there's that old joke from family guy about how like matt damon's only contribution to the writing of goodwill hunting was like smoking weed while like matt damon did all the oh fed affleck rather while matt damon wrote the script like that's how i imagine the shy he's the fucking guy. <laughs> think about me and you rockies oh it's so hard working bro it's like this is ridiculous like, no, i even said this he might be i have him as the best top player ever but he's one of the most egregious inters to ever play league of legends and and no conscience as well that's the craziest thing it doesn't ever seem like he actually like takes it to heart like did i fuck up the game no he never does it's like the bloody bot lane again like what you'll play like vladimir fucking going up solo killing people like what he's so bad isn't he he's so bad i love him more i love him <laughs> you couldn't write an anime character as ridiculous as the shy that's the <laughs> least self-aware man i think i've ever met i love it though i love it though <laughs> you 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 haven't met double lift so i i i that's uh, true I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> again he did say man so <laughs> whatever whatever oh boy all right well i think that'll we're gonna take some viewer questions dagda so we will uh we will bid you adieu thanks for coming on great to talk to you about the lpl oh, Monty, i just realized though a parting shot all i'll say is this i think you fans took it too far that's not actually what protect the double lift means it doesn't mean just protect him when he's wrong from the consequences <laughs> of his actions it's actually a comp inside the game the way you play stylistically so the On zoomer fans note, are just so used to protecting their celebrities exactly. that uh they they now misinterpret uh, the exactly. application of in-game strategy there you go exactly okay thanks dagda for coming on great talking to you about lpl yeah thanks uh, for having me on guys Right, time for viewer questions. How does one ask a viewer question? Not in Twitch chat. How does one ask one, Monty? <laughs> you uh, go to the Insights on Esports Discord server and you get yourself some high-quality Grog coins, 25 of them, and then you can get into the SI Questions channel, the Grog Coin 25, and then you too can ask questions. If you're wondering how to do that, go to the Grog Coin Lounge, look at the pinned post, and there you go. That's how you get. Uh... <laughs> 
<laughs> by the way, for anyone out there who's like, oh, what the, you have to pay money to, and, and it, the value can go up. Yeah, if you imagine we're going to see it as a negative, that we've created a filtering system based around elitism and how much you're willing to put into this interaction to keep people from asking us stupid questions. I don't think you know who we are. You haven't figured out the branding of this also, show. Also, this is, you know, you, you, yes, you buy the grog coins, but then you just sit on them and they've gone up like by 400%. So, you know, um, no, you could sell them anytime you want as well. So you enjoy that guys. You enjoy whatever that. you want. Exactly. Yeah. It's not like a Twitch subscription or a Patreon. You can do whatever the fuck you want with them. Also shout out to our new grog coin holder with the great name architect of Korean esports based Joe. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. You guys, you guys keeping it real with the, okay. the Discord I like it. games. <laughs> That's fucking hilarious. Anyway, um <laughs> and also all of you people who are now doing butt pounder 420 iterations, props to you guys too, because our new one, a pound of butt 1564. You guys just do these different ones now. Uh, can you recommend any operas or spe specific productions of certain operas? Uh, sure. I actually took not singing coursework. I am a terrible singer. But um, uh, opera history when I lived in Ireland and went to Trinity. So um, I don't know. I, I do like Wagner. I like the Ring Cycle. I do like, um, you know, I do like Mozart's operas. Uh, I like some of the more uh i would say flowery italian operas as well um so i don't know i i do you have any opera preferences like i like puccini i, know, I like turandot and almost nothing about opera, so I can't do opera. I could do like uh, plays if you want. Like I, like uh, if you ever want like a, a banging niche movie that's really good, there's a film version of the play Marat Sard, which is about when the Marquis de yep. Sard was in an inmate asylum and the inmates take over these habits. But there's a really good film version of that. That's like again. It's a bit obscure as a concept, but put it this way, even though, like, if you look at what it's all about, you'll think, ah, oh, this is too art house. It's not actually, it's just really good. Like the actors in it do a mega job. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a that's a great play. Uh, I also have taken multi-year courses in drama history, so I can do that as well because I did act. Um, but Boris Godunov is another one uh, by Mussorgsky. I, I don't really like most modern operas. I uh, one of the one I, I I don't like musicals, but I do like opera and I do like operettas. So I am amused by Gilbert and Sullivan. If you want, um, uh, if you want a Here's a here's a movie take about the creation of an operetta. There is a biopic about Gilbert and Sullivan um, about the making of the Mikado called Topsy Turvy. That is a fucking great movie. Um, so there is <laughs> there's there's a opera adjacent movie that you could watch um, that is very good. If you were to write an anime script about LOL esports in an alternate universe, what are some of the things you'd change from reality? Mine would be Apto going over to the LPL, following his Korean exile and enacting his revenge on Faker at Worlds. I mean, obviously that would be a, I mean, the, the Apto Faker, like Faker, dark Faker storyline is something we were fucking robbed of in this esport, which is really sad. So yes, that would obviously, I mean, it was already basically just like a perfect anime plot line as it was. 
especially because unfortunately even like the 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 level to which china had the appetite to import was out of sync with Aptos like time he was caring about being a pro because essentially he was a year or two before they got to the point that they would just sign anyone for big money because if you look at it like in the modern day now if china knew what you know now like they do offer freak like 20 minutes or like now you could actually probably give him the money way do it mate we'd maybe try playing for an lpl team and actually in, uh, this is one of the rare areas where the fact that like china just has fucking tenth riot in their back pocket might actually have worked out monty they might actually have let him bloody play in the lpl if they'd like specifically petitioned it so it might even have been possible just sadly obviously never happened i'm trying to think what would be some good other good anime an angles let me think what's another good one mm, like what would make for a really good storyline that we were robbed of like, the obvious one to me, I actually think the most costly of all the fucking exports out of Korea was Mata. Because even though he came back later, and even though he eventually was good in the LPL, like, you can tell he just phoned it in for a year or two after that. And, like, he never was the same player after. Like, here's what the problem. When he came back, especially, he was just the brain at that point in time. That guy was an amazing straight-up actual player when he was on Samsung White as well. He was, like, the best. That's why he was, like, mad life. He was the best at the role, and then the best as, like, a captain and the yep. other shit as well. So, like, to me, if he could have kept that up, if he could have just kept going from Samsung White on, that could have been another interesting angle because think about it right then you have like an amazing captain in the region battling these great individual players smeb and faker and like that that's the real thing that robbed if, if people don't get it as much as there was some cool lpl storylines it does suck that in the history of league of legends we'll never know what happens if all the koreans stay in korea i mean that's, that's the biggest the one, teams like, ever right i mean yeah. probably the the best anime storyline that we were actually robbed of was rookie going to china Imagine if Rookie had stayed in Korea for all these years and we got to see like fucking 10 years now of a faker rookie domestic rivalry. I looked it up, dude, and apparently they've only ever played some mad like the 2B01s at that MSI or something. Like they've never, like, even though these are the main two rivals, like ever for GOAT, there's just no, like, dude, imagine if like Tom Brady and Peter Manning just played in the opposite conferences and met once in a final once ever. There'd be no fucking storyline, would there? That's what sucks. I agree with you, mate. The idea of those two were like amazing all these years and they were just like fucking star-crossed lovers can never interact. Like what? That's whack yep. as fuck. And we got robbed of it again because V5 just decided to lose yeah. during these playoffs. So we actually had a chance to have it at this MSI. Oh, I know what it is. I know what I know what the real ultimate. I figured it out. It's obvious even. It's obvious. The ultimate anime storyline is Faker did go to the LPL. Now yeah. there's a fucking <laughs> there is a fucking crazy anime storyline. So uh, what, what if you Ooh. did what if, what if you did the reverse what happened in 2015, which is all the other players stay in Korea? There you and go. Faker That's a good is one. The only one that goes to China. Yes. That would be actually be very interesting. I'll that give you another cool one. Here's another fun one, right? People never thought this was possible, but I've heard there'd been the odd offer from like mid-table to the other crazy one would be knowing what we know now. What if some Korean team said fuck even the language barrier? Would you take an Uzi eye? Remember, the Korea never had ADCs like that, boys. Even the ADCs like that had to go to China, Imp, Midstick, etc. They never had, like, the hard carry ADC. So I'd love to see, like, some, like, amazing Korean team just play hard around Uzi. That would be the most unique Korean team ever. The fake of going to China one would be fucking lit, though. That one is. That, that's a good one. That is a good one. That is a good one. Uh... Next question. Nowadays, we have uh, Age of Empires four events running and names popping up are a mixture of all the major RTS. <laughs> the top four in Golden League right now are Marine Lord, The Viper, Beastie Cutie, Vortex. <laughs> oh, so all the StarCraft 2 players play. Yeah, oh, StarCraft cool. 2 okay. players. Yeah, yeah. 
any Warcraft three players you would like to see nowadays? Obviously, Moon, dude. Like, I would love to see Moon's out of the military. He has been for a couple of years. It'd be really fun to see him come back. Grubby would be another one. Um, if none, share some stories about the Warcraft three scene. Uh, <laughs> okay, I got one for you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Very early on, it, well, not very early on in Warcraft 3, but um, Warcraft 3 was obviously like a really scuffed esport in like 2005. Uh, and when I was a freshman in college, I was casting Warcraft 3 and I went to a, this is a, a defunct organization now called Global Gaming League. And GGL had a LAN at the Javits Center, which is like the convention center in New York City. And I was going to college in upstate New York. So I took the train down for a weekend. And everybody in Warcraft 3, including the pro players at that point, were like so poor that basically we all, all scraped together money. I slept on the floor of a hotel room that like Grubby was in. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't. So radio ITG. It was pretty was, common back then, though, that people did stuff like crash on the floor. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Just yeah, to yeah, get yeah. to the event, obviously. Yeah, yeah. So I had to pay my own money to go. Uh, yes. I had to pay my own money to go. And so uh, I showed up, and radio ITG was doing the broadcast, and I was, you know, a Warcraft three caster at the time. Um, and so I basically that was DJ Wheat's organization. So I showed up, and I was like, "Hey, you don't have a Warcraft three caster." Um, I'm a Warcraft 3 caster, and he knew who I was because I was working with Team Sportscast Network, which was what D-Man was also on back in the day. Uh, and so I got to cast Did this event. Guys, all yeah, yeah, guys. I got to cast this event, but it was basically just because I showed up to this place in New York City um, that I was casting it and sleeping on, like, Grubby's hotel room floor. And, uh, yeah, so anyway, uh, they I, I, the Grubby goes on to, like, I forget if he was... Am I confusing two events? I might be confusing two events. No, no, no I'm not. I can look it up if you want. No, 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 no. Grubby, Grubby uh, ends up doing very well at this event. I don't know if he wins or if he just places like in the top two or something like that. Because I'm pretty Moon was at this event as well. Um, he had flown over from Korea, so that was the first time I had ever met him. Uh, and Grubby gets like one of those oversized checks from winning this event. And I, I have a video of this on some ancient digital camera somewhere where he is, we go to like one of those sketchy, like payday check cash, cashing facilities. And as a joke, he tries to like cash this giant check. And he's like trying to stuff it through the like slots with all like the bulletproof glass. And it's just fucking hilarious because this person like doesn't know how to react to this situation. So I do legitimately have a video of Grubby doing this somewhere. <laughs> but it was just it was just such a fucking scuffed esports experience overall. And it was just that it, it was that's just how Warcraft 3 was back in the day. So, yeah, I, I go way back with with some of these guys. Uh, what is the narrative you would want corrected or is the most inaccurate for the sake of lol history? Marin in 2015, Royal Club favored by the analyst desk in 2013. <laughs> I would probably say the Marin one because I th here's the problem. To this day, if you say who is the GOAT top laner, there is a decent amount even of experts who will throw Naren's name out there. And in my opinion, he ain't even on the shortlist. So I think that one's mad egregious. Don't worry though, boys, because here's the thing. This is actually, like I said in that video I did about CS on my channel, this is an area I'm going to lean heavily into on my YouTube channel, is I'm going to do a bunch of videos where I just get the Wikipedias out of all the tournament stuff. And I just sort of like, it's, it's called narrative mechanic, and I'm just going to correct what I think are a bunch of non 
nonsense narratives that got way out of control. Like, I'll give you an example, Monty. I'll give a little teaser for people. I've got one scripted already that's about your career when you coach CLG because they present your career as though it's the last week of what happened in CLG. That was the whole thing. They ignore that, like, you know, you fucking had your team like ahead of TSM at one point and then you like almost made the finals and then you actually were like leading the league in the split. Yep. So there's a whole, like, <laughs> wait and see. When you actually I put was, the context in, it's I so was, different from the real I was one. You know. I was one game away from making the finals over TSM in the in the spring split of that year and then we got clowned on by Bjergsen's twisted fate but it was close I mean it came down to the last game of that series so yeah so I think when when you put all the context in you'll see how different it is so I, I actually want to do a series like that instead of just ranting on Twitter I'm actually going to do content about this because also I think like, quite frankly who else is in a better position I was there I did all the history so why don't I just show you quickly the history if, by the way I would love it if a war historian did this like a five minute version about why like I don't know something that World War 2 had to happen that way and he showed you the old document it'd be the shit wouldn't it the whole problem with that sort of stuff is it's too lengthy. You know? I mean, I'm I'm still deeply offended about the the take that TSM had a real shot at Worlds in 2014. Oh, it's mental. That that, that oh. narrative also tilts me to the fucking. I already movie. did that one though, Monty. I've actually done that one. In fact, <laughs> and all you need to know is this: this is how far we've come, boys. Even amazing, like the tweet. <laughs> and, and I was low-key referring to him in it. So fair play, amazing. Okay, I see you. Okay. <laughs> Uh, what has been the most fulfilling job either of you have had outside of esports? Honestly, in college, I would I was like cooking in a Thai restaurant during the summers, and I really love cooking, and I still do it all the time myself. And it's been a skill that I've honed over many years now. And I got to I got to learn from Thai people how to make Thai food, and that was great. I thought I found that very fulfilling. I've only had one other job. I was a paper boy, and even then, there's a story, which is I earned all the money that you could earn for, like, I don't know, let's like say, like, a year or something. And then in England, especially, it's traditional as part of the Christmas spirit that at Christmas, you give your paper boy a tip, right? But you are technically also giving him the tip to sort of encourage him to do a good job next year. I waited until Christmas, got all the tips, and then just quit, and then used the money to buy an N64. That's the end of my story. <laughs> and after that, I only ever worked one job, eSports. Not even once. Not even. Take a picture of my young, youthful face and take the picture of this weathered face now. eSports, not even once. Not even <laughs> once. Uh, is there a sadder sight in professional sports than the crowd at a Miami Marlins game? Yeah, TSM fans at a League of Legends game at an international event. That's pretty sad. <laughs> you have any more depressing... Sports sports event stories? Not really. All right. You guys make ca hosting and casting look so effortless that it becomes an unpleasant shock to hear amateurs step up to the plate. Monty, any tips for Latigris to improve her casting? Thorin, any tips for Double Lift to improve his podcast hosting? I'll give you a very brief one right now because it's actually an area that I've noticed so many hosts are fucking appalling at in esports. It's pretty simple. They don't listen. When they're finished talking, you see him permanently on the second monitor reading Twitch chat. By the way, if I'm a guest on your show and I talk about something and you start laughing when it's not appropriate when I and I realize you're just laughing at Twitch chat, like I'm I would I I'm this close to just leaving the call. Like, why don't you just have Twitch chat on your own and stream, mate? Like you're not in a convo with me. So one of the reasons that I think it's believe it or not, Monty, as much as people think I talk too much and I ain't up too much, I'm fucking amazing at listening. I can actually track what people are saying, what they said on past episodes, what like even from the way they're talking, I get a sense of like what they might want to talk about next. Next, what they haven't yet spoken about like listening is a fucking skill you have to work on it you really have to build it up a lot and also 
most people can't handle listening for three hours in a row. They get fatigued. Like, there's a skill to it. You're going to sort of... So I would say, if, if I'm doubling, first and foremost, the, the, the hack to learning it in the short term is this. Don't have Lena book your guest. Pick people you're really interested in and use it as yep. an excuse to do a little bit of research and then ask them the questions you want to ask them. That'll actually authentically get you a really great convo. And then in doing so, because you're really interested, you'll be listening to the answers. And because you're following the answers, you'll then know what to ask next. And it'll start to even be obvious because as this guy says, when you put in a billion reps, you just get the form, you get the technique, you master it. So I would just say to start out, like, because here's the best thing. If you follow your curiosity, you're not being dragged you feel impelled that direction you want to go that direction yeah I also by the way why i don't just go for the biggest name guests you know is sometimes every now and then i'll throw in a guest a fan might not even care about like jensen gorsman because i'm actually interested like for example yes. he's a guy who's a very interested modeling system so i'll just bring on a weird guy that you guys might not care about but to i want to talk to this week that's a good tip i think yeah for sure for sure uh i think i think on the casting side of things for la tigress I think Latigris in the cast that I've heard, she has good vocal technical abilities and she knows the they you know, she she's very clearly like knowledgeable about the champion's kits and like everything like that. So she checks a lot of the boxes for a play-by-play caster. I think that if I had to give her advice, I think there's there's two things for Latigris. One of them is that it's incredibly important to remember that in esports, because there is no ball, and this is to say that there isn't a focal point of action that people are naturally attracted to, um, to look at on the screen, right? Which means that in every esports, basically, that isn't Rocket League, guys, because it actually literally has a ball, um, or to a lesser degree, CSGO, which is the bomb, but even the bomb, you don't really see. It's just kind of like, on an icon on your screen and it could be sitting on the ground and blah, 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 right? It's not necessarily the focal point of the action until it's being planted. Um, the thing with esports is that the play-by-play -play caster has to recognize what the ball, quote unquote, is, right? And it is incredibly important to realize as a play-by-play, -play, what is the priority ability when you have 10 different champions doing things, you have to be able to instantly read what is the biggest play happening on this, the screen and focus on that one thing that is going on. And that is, that is I think, her flaw, uh, is that she doesn't always know where the ball is. And that's something that you can certainly improve on, but I would that's what I would start it working on if I were her. The other thing about La Tigris is that in her interviews as well, and in her casts, she has a rough time transitioning um, and making tosses. So what I mean by that is that when she is doing an interview, at the conclusion of an interview, uh, she will often, her way of transitioning out of an interview is to repeat the last thing that the interview subject has said and then like toss it to Dash or, or, or you know, finish the interview with that. Basic throws ever, you know, and he's, yeah, so, he's confident on that match, but what do you think, Dash? Will they win yeah, the yeah, game? Exactly. Yeah, you know. exactly that. that. And she kind of just awkwardly trails off sometimes too. And for me, 
what I want to see out of Latigris is more of Latigris's own personality and banter and rapport with the pro players, right? And so I wish we got to see more Latigris in Latigris's interviews and more Latigris in Latigris's casts because it feels like she's trying so hard to be this ultra polished interviewer that's doing everything technically right that I don't really get a sense sense of her rapport with the person she is talking to. And it it's just not fun, you know, to be to be honest. Like there I don't feel like her interviews um, bring out the best aspects of the pro players. And in fact, sometimes like when Abadage would, yeah, is cursed in the past in the interview, she gets quite awkward, um, which makes it seem worse than it is instead of just like vibing with Abadage in that rolling, moment yeah, exactly. and rolling with it. Because ultimately you 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 always just have to roll with it no matter what happens. Just make right? a joke like, watch out, you'll get fired. So it ends up yeah. like just kind of derailing or making yes. the segment more awkward. And I guess in her cast too, with her, her color commentators, I think she's really focused on like, you know, doing the, the, the technical aspects of the play-by-play -play correctly that to your point, Thorne, what you were saying earlier, I feel like sometimes she's not listening to her color caster or she doesn't like bring in the color narratives or transition smoothly between herself and the yes. color caster. So those are the two things that I would say she has to work on. But I, I think that in terms of her own diction, uh, tone, vocal abilities, I think she, she does have quite a bit of polish. So I think it's more focus and interaction that are the things that need to be improved. By the way, as someone who's been an analyst, obviously, in CSGO, I can tell you one thing I always massively appreciated, which ties into what you're talking about, which is casters, which, when they're listening to my analyst desk segments, actually listen to the points and integrate them into their cast. Like, a lot of the people who are mates of mine, Moses, Anders, Semler, Sadikis, they would always take, like, a great point I had on the desk and make it part of the game. Like, if in the game it was playing out in some sense, like, I said, you know, watch out for this player in this context, or this guy's like, they would, like, tie it in, and, oh, this is what we saw on the desk, but that's a great way to make the show feels super fucking integrated. Your teammates, by the way, feel like they're on your team. So the, the problem I have with La Tigris is this. I actually think she's got a very good quality, which is she genuinely seems enthusiastic. I don't think she's faking it. She actually really yeah. seems to enjoy watching these LCS games, which I was joking with Dagda because I find it hard to see how some of the people who watch like the highest level league can really bring themselves. Like I've told you before, I almost think like LS, it's almost like fucking masochism that he does streams about LCS. He, he hates that type of League of Legends. It's not is shit but the one problem I think she really has unfortunately Monty is something I don't think is capable which is I noticed that a common thing people who don't like us is they think her voice is annoying and unfortunately that's something I remember we used to get leveled at for scoring and the problem I have is this not for me. Like, I would never had a problem with Frost Gordon's voice, but I can see how to someone that might seem like a like her, her voice was a bit whiny was Frost Gordon's. Like, I can see how it might annoy someone. And the reason why I say that's a, it's a, it's a touchy topic is because you want to go, well, it doesn't matter, does it? But unfortunately, like, being a caster, there's only two or three people allowed on the camera at that moment to talk. Being liked by the audience is a massive element in it, no matter yeah. what you think. And I can't decide that. So that's up to the fans to figure out on that one. I don't really know if you can change your voice entirely. Like... I mean, do I do don't, I like. don't have that problem with either Frost or Latigris. I've never read it myself, but it just seems like a common complaint. Like I say, look, I don't hate it. Like I've had casters where I just didn't like the voice, you know. Yep. Has that remember me before? Yep, that's that's true. Uh, all right. Do, 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 do. I, I actually don't know what this question is. I, I don't understand this question. Is it reasonable to say Bjergsen is not used to playing in a system that does not involve Reggie diving 200 miles per hour for the jungler? I don't know what that's supposed to mean. Um, 
I also, assume it means like that Reginald would just come in and fuck up the jungle every time oh. TSM was going bad. I think that's what he's trying to imply. Yeah, I, I don't think that's the issue. I don't think that's the issue here. Um, also, is there a super team paradox? No matter how a super team is built, there is a minimum of one men- meta where teams cannot figure out how to navigate it, contradictory to what a super team represents. What I think he's saying is, is, is a concept with a super team, when you design a super team to be effective in a meta, and you don't necessarily know when you're creating the super team what the next meta for League of Legends is, because you have to create a roster before you even know what the changes to the game are, much less how those changes are going to affect the professional scene. Uh, it does affect super teams. Like, obviously, like a super team for one year that you think might be great with changes to the overall meta could be absolute dog shit the next year, which is why mid-season adjustments between spring and summer splits are becoming more common. Uh, because that's the only time where you actually have the evidence of what the year's meta is going to be. So yeah, I do think it's really hard to make a super team in this game because they change the game so fucking much. And I also just think, even though it does suck a little bit as a fan, that's just unfortunate the way League of Legends is. Like, if the meta changes enough, it doesn't matter if you're the best, you won't win. I don't believe there's ever been, I genuinely don't, Monty, I don't believe there has ever actually been a five-man lineup in League of Legends that could play all the metas and win Worlds. Therefore, Worlds is about getting lucky. Just inherently. That's just the nature of the game, you know. The difference is in CSGO, you actually could, there have been teams that were number one when the meta wasn't the perfect for them. That's happened. But that's because too many elements remain the same. Like in League, it's just not that way. That's why to me, League actually as an eSport, it's way more appropriate to compare it to things like Magic the Gathering, in my opinion. In Magic the Gathering, the ro- if it's the wrong set of cards and you get a bit of bad luck in the tournament, you come seventh and you're the best player in the world. That is the way the game is. It's way more aligned like that than the games like Quake and Counter-Strike. These are the games where if you're number one, you go to number one. If you have a bad day, you come number two. If not, you're number three. You're like, League isn't as isn't as correlated as that, in my opinion, with like raw skill or player ability. You know, it's a different game. Favorite detective movie or game? I mean, I love film noir. So, <laughs> so what about for movie then? What would be the best detective movie? Like the the best. Oh man, that's a tough one. So many good films. Is it going to be like a classic film noir? You're going to go? Oh with? yeah, um, multi so like big sleep. Yeah, I, I don't Maltese like the Falcon. Big, I don't like the Big Sleep as much as I like the Maltese Falcon. Um, Chinatown, China, Chinatown, maybe is the best one. It's a pretty Chinatown good one, especially the fucking casting. Yeah, pretty banging. And uh, also, Chinatown sort of like itself, sort of like a meta-contextual commentary on the tropes of film noir, right? Yep. Yeah, for sure. It's a more of a neo-noir. Um, I mean, also, I mean, you could go, you could go like sci-fi noir, like Blade Runner would be another one, right? Let me think what I would pick for this. Let me think. Because I'm going to try and pick something obscure for you. So it's something like, because since he says detective, there's so many great movies you oh, can yeah. pick out for that. Let me think of this one. Uh, I'll give you a really unique one. Basically, don't look up anything about the story. Do not attempt to find out any details or you will ruin the movie. But if you know the famous indie Danish director, Lars von Trier, one of his early films is a film called The Element of Crime. And it's just about a cop who's investigating a series of movies. Mm, I won't say any more than that. You're going to think based on it, like, oh, I've heard a million movies. Ah, You haven't seen one exactly like the way this one goes. It's got a very unique way of playing the plot. So I'll just leave it that one. There you go. There's a fun one you definitely haven't seen that you you can all put on your little list. Yeah. I, there, there are a bunch of good ones. Like the thing too is, there's a difference between the kind of noir novels that were made in like the 40s and 50s, right, and 30s, um, compared to the movies, because it was actually illegal at the time to like depict prostitution and drug use in Hollywood. So a yeah. lot of the a lot of the novels um, are about drug rings, prostitutions. Right. 
but the the film versions will change those elements to other forms of like corruption like or some shit in yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you know. it, was all, it was like it was a very weird like <laughs> law in america that was like censoring movies i wouldn't know fair enough okay. um so yeah uh, uh, the books are often like the books of like the big sleep is very different than the movie the big sleep it's a lot seedier in the books there that's oh yeah so, so, so what's, what's interesting yeah. what's interesting is in many ways la confidential which is another fabulous like film noir movie as well yeah, LA Confidential is actually more accurate to old right. noir books because right. it has all that shit in it um, than the actual period film noir movies. Um, so that's that's a good one. I also love um, uh, LA Noir, the the video game is just fucking great. So good. And also that is more real to the actual stories. But the fact that they like recreated 1940s LA by using maps and like uh, postcards and everything is just incredible in that game. Can you, without saying OGN or Korea, describe your perfect finals opening ceremony? Honestly, hard to beat what they did. It's it's really hard to beat what what uh, was just done with this spring opening ceremony. It's it's basically everything you want. I think the only way I would have ramped it up more is to do to start it with like a thirty minute documentary about like the eras of teams in Korea, so that you got like an appreciation of who is a star, like briefly, like an overview of those ten years. That would have been rad. What I want is when you have like worlds or a major and it's like the final or a huge semi-final, I want them to go full WWE. I want like the pyrotechnics, the big fucking Titan Tron with like the cute, cool intro video, like put out the lights in the arena. There's so many cool things we could do. Because the thing I find whack is this, Monty, is like, I think it's so inappropriate. And then the modern day, they still do like team introductions. Like if Simple's on one of the teams, he needs his own introduction, you morons. And he should have a whole thing that's built up that's like thematic to him with quotes and oh my god simple you know like all that shit they should be a whole thing like ufc even as well like you yep. like you put all the lights out you do a whole thing like if you do it like that by the way the impression on the people in that crowd that is what will actually make like a live attendance next level because people will be like holy fuck you don't, you don't even get the experience when you're on camera but even then on camera it looks mega when you do that so i think that would be pretty cool i'll also say as much as like i don't particularly care about like wasting things just purely for aesthetics it was quite cool when they had that like fucking augmented reality dragon fly around at worlds. Yeah. That looks pretty good. We should just have a giant faker that like leans over and looks into the stadium. <laughs> One of the fucking attack on Titan. Yeah, Titan exactly. yeah. <laughs> By the way, why they still haven't thought of that shit, I also don't get. Why don't they do something like when it's each big international tournament, partner with like a Japanese anime studio, take a famous anime and do an intro where all the characters are someone from that, and like it is Faker as a Titan reaching down, but he's reaching yep. down, and then there's Zhao Hu and fucking Capsai. These are easy ideas, guys. Fucking write them down. Take a notepad out. <laughs> That's like a slam dunk. You don't think they'd want to like be associated with these, but there's a million angles you can go with on this shit, couldn't there? In cool. honor of EG's first LCS championship, who do you think will be the next team to win their first domestic title in each uh, in each of the major regions? Uh, well, I don't know about that. Let's just pick one. Just you pick one. What? You know what? Fuck it. It's going to be Rogue in LEC because I don't learn from my mistake. No, it's going to be Rogue in LEC, though. It's going to be Rogue in LEC. Because they haven't won. They're the most obvious one to win, aren't they? Yeah, I, I don't think it's likely to happen in Korea, especially with Noguri rejoining Damwon. That seems unlikely to occur. Uh, maybe maybe V5? I mean, that, that still that's hasn't one. happened. Yeah, yeah, that's one. That's one. So there you go. Uh, with Bo joining Surge, it seems likely that he's joining a Western team. Uh, Surge management, I think, which is the, his agency. 
Uh, who would you like to sign him, and does it work? I actually am not very familiar with Bo's play, so I don't really feel like I'm qualified to answer that question. Supposedly, he was like a sort of like a fucking up and coming stud slash prodigy. I know, I know who he is. Some I mega player. So, like, look, obviously, I want it to be a good team. The problem I have is, is like, because he has that whole like match fixing thing hanging over him. Like, I don't know who it's going to be. The joke is, it should obviously be TSM. They're the only ones who could take the fucking hit of the baggage, right? But who knows if it will be? They'd have to kick Spicker, wouldn't they? So probably not, right? No, uh, I think they will. I think TSM will sign Maple. I don't think they're going to sign Bo. Okay. That's a good uh, sign, by the way. I like to see yeah, it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, thoughts on the major talent announcement? Well, for CSGO. Weird. Yeah, for okay. CSGO. I mean, for those of you who don't know, uh, there were some pretty notable omissions, such as Sadikist, Anders, Semler, Moses, Yanko, uh, Barry Richard. Yeah, you, Richard, like, uh, in spite of the fact that this same TO ran the last major with all of these yep. people. <laughs> very, very interesting change of heart. I mean, I know, I know Richard said he wasn't going to do it, and you didn't want to do it either, so. Put it this way, I'm not exaggerating. The only people, as far as I can tell, who did the playoffs of the last major, who are going to be at this major, is Maniac, Blair, Sponger Machine, that's it. There's no yeah, Bardolf, there's no DBK, yeah. there's no Semler, there's no Moses, there's no Anders, there's no me, there's no Richard. The difference is as well, by the way, we'll go into all this on by the numbers, not the word. Difference is, me and Richard turned down the event. Some of the others either weren't hired, and I've heard in Yanko's case, he wasn't even asked. And that is actually like, like I can't even handle that. Like, it, basically, Maniac's the number one analyst, and then Yanko's number two. That's it. There's no, you don't need to have any other questions. Oh, what about this guy? They're, they're the top two, and one of them isn't even going to be there. So I think the whole thing's egregious as fuck. I think it's another example of people having like a mixture of like, I actually do think, by the way, Monty, they're trying to intentionally play to the opposite crowd from the last major because they got because they got such a backlash. Now they're like, look, but we're doing what you're seeing. So they want like to win over those people. And then the other angle is, I can't go into it too much because we'll have to see what Richard wants to say. But I think a lot of this is like a reprisal for what happened with the drama with the casters in the playoffs uh, of the last one. Because what it was seen as, Monty, was it was seen as like we'd all come together as a group and like we were overruling PGL. Even though we did it, by the way, it was basically just Richard talked to Moses, found out he was going to get taken off all his games and was like, well, we can't do that. We've got to get the guy on some games. But PGL saw it as us doing a mutiny, basically. So it doesn't surprise me that magically none of them get hired. And by the way, you might be thinking, but that doesn't make sense, Thorin. Why would they offer you and Richard a gig? we have the number one podcast for talking shit on people in the industry people some people are smart not everyone's a riot games you know some people figure out monty maybe i should actually try and placate these investigative journalists the problem is so it doesn't work if you shit so we're not going to work the event so it's over it's over so it's the good here's the thing a lot of people that hired were good but, but I'm, I don't play that shit like i know all my colleagues are different for me in this one they're gonna go oh be careful though don't say anyone else shouldn't be hired because everyone's good everyone isn't good you fucking idiot it's a competitive field i'm better than fucking half the people hired here moses is way better than some of these casters that i've done blast i don't care that you like them these are the best at their job so here's the thing does that guy deserve a gig well, what does deserve even mean? If I'm not available, then yeah, he's the next in line. Give him the gig. My problem is this. You want the best to do the event. So in the same way as if you said, I'm going to make a list of the best players in CSGO and you didn't put Simple on there, I wouldn't be dissing whoever I'm saying is not number one by saying Simple should be number one. Simple is number one. The point is, like, the other people can get theirs when they get theirs. There's no, like... 
It's their time. If you're the best, you're the best. It's not about the time, mate. It's not about marketing. It's not about some, like, feel-good story. There's another thing. Why would there be, like, an X-factor feel-good factor as to who gets hired for a major? It's who's the best at talking about the bloody game. So I find the whole thing, like, look, luckily CSGO has a lot of talent, so it'll be a good yep. major anyway. I think they'll probably still do a great job. There will be tech problems, so God bless some of these guys that have only worked with the ESL Blast. You have no idea what you're about to experience. But it'll still be a good tournament. The sad thing for me will just be this. It's so I've always said, Monty, I've always tested this, that it's not just me and Richie, it's not just how we are that causes this response. Because we are just the canary in the coal mine for how fans and industry people treat you. Because here's the problem, right? When they hit on me, Monty, they're always going to say that. They're going to go, well, what do you expect? He's so incendiary with his comments and he's willing to talk about anything and he makes inappropriate jokes. The problem they have is this. Then Stuchu will write like a Thorin-esque article, never do a single inappropriate joke, never ever mock anyone, and they'll downvote his shit and say it's all garbage and he knows nothing about the game. So in the same sense, if you're going to go, well, of course, you are problems, Thorin. You're always... So what's Moses ever done? You know Moses that was what Moses is probably up. the most <laughs> amiable people to ever work in esports. So if you have a problem with them, spoiler you have the problem it's your problem it ain't theirs mate they are, these are the best people to work with they're amazing yes everyone that, likes Moses everyone that's, that's the that's how you know something's weird is that Moses not being there exactly. is, the, is the biggest weird one uh in all of this and that Anders as well so for that shit that has to be just has to be, come on. <laughs> has to be. Come on. I, I you know and they did pick up like I'm, I'm happy to see launders and scrawny i'm happy to see maui snake like doing all these things like i'm happy for people but yeah like not having moses there who is both just so excellent at talking about counter-strike and is the nicest person on camera and behind the scenes ever is very weird yes um it's all good though it's all good <laughs> If T1 does not win a single international tourney yet again goes 39-0 or goes, you know, 20-0 in LCK, let's put it that way, would you say that this was a successful year for T1? Listen, yes. I love hypotheticals, but you are way ahead of yourself on that one. You just gave them 20 more series wins. Like, that's without even pointing out, downloads upgrade. I mean, Genji's had a split together now. Like, come on, boys. Yeah. They're not, they're yeah. not, spoiler, they're and, not winning all 20. And, and, and Genji isn't going to have COVID for two-thirds of your matchups that you have in a, in a split, right, guys? So also, I think the part was he has them winning the 40 series, but then they're not allowed to win MSI or Worlds <laughs> for reasons. Like, okay, I mean, I, we can do that. We can get that. Well, I, I mean, the answer, the answer is yes, because how yes. can you body your domestic champ? Your, I mean, if you go, are, are flawless against your domestic competitors, you just and you don't do well internationally. Like, how are you supposed to do better or like find better competition for yeah. which to, to prepare yourself for international tournaments? So, yes, I mean, objectively, it's still very successful. Final question. What changed from Samsung? core jj to na core jj from watching the lck in years past i do not recall core being an all-store or god of engage that he is today oh so you're saying he's better now was he simply overshadowed by names like ruler and ambition was the meta at the time focused on enchanters vision and methodical play there okay so there are several things there was significantly less roaming at the time um when core was winning the world championship so i think the support play has shifted you remember uh, the first year they made the world's final was the bloody ardent censored time period wasn't it wasn't it around that or was that season seven actually am i getting that mixed up wasn't that season six i'm pretty, I think, it was I one think so years. yeah anyway I that was, was the era where obviously like the like the bot yeah. were having a great time weren't they but it was like on autopilot wasn't it 
Yeah, so I, I think that the the position of support has changed quite a bit, um, and he has adapted very well to that. Also, obviously, level of competition, enormous difference. Um, level of support play in NA is generally not great. Like, you know, uh, it's hard to find good supports in NA. If you ask any team, it's very difficult to find good support players overall. Uh, we've seen mid laners who have won titles, like who he switched to support, uh, because that is a position of need, especially for NA native players, because you don't want to use necessarily an import slot on support, but you kind of have to, because all the NA supports are bad, except for Vulcan. Um, so yeah, uh, I, I think, I think it's a, it's a difference of, of meta and evolution of the support role over the years more than anything else combined with uh, easier time playing. But, I mean, he's still an amazing... I think Core JJ could easily go back to Korea and still be on a top roster. And also, if you just think about the way you set up the question, look, if I was playing with Ruler, I would just be a real support player and just do whatever Ruler needs to get through the lane and get to the fucking team fight. That's how you win the game when you play with Ruler. Like, you're not going to be trying God-tier roams in that scenario. Eh? Like, you've got probably the best AD carry ever to come from Korea, maybe. Like, so at that point in time, you're just going to get him to his items, aren't you? Makes sense. And as Monty says, this is before Season 8, basically. So this is before we opened the Metro up with all these crazy top and mid flexes and all those million champions with dashes. Like the era that you're talking about was also like a different version of League for me. That yes. was the era with all the fucking trackers knife and the old meta and the slow developing gameplay yeah. that goes from a long early game to a long mid game to a late game. Like it's like that comment I made a couple of years ago. We even had to change what the bloody concept of late game became. Like late game now is just the old mid game. That's the joke. Like Twenty five like, minutes. <laughs> do you know, like, like, the, it doesn't feel like there are any true late game. Late game used to be like 45 minutes or whatever back then. Yeah. Like, the enormous <laughs> games. Yeah, so... And also... It, unfortunately, in how you phrased that question, you gave yourself away, pleb. You gave the tell at the end. Because <laughs> that last part you put in, it was all great when you were like, is it because of names like Ruler or Ambition? What the f... Uh, ambition? You just said Ambition's name. You are aware Ambition winning that world is one of the most fucking overhyped narratives. Like, the idea he was the MVP of Worlds... I got your fucking mind. He was only playing. This is not a joke because Haru, Haru, that's right. The guy who's in fucking EU Masters now could only play like one style of jungle, like super fucking mechanical style. Like that was it. So like essentially Ambition was like filling holes. He wasn't like some star jungler for fuck's sake. Like that was actually amazing. He won worlds that way. So like I, I think in that team, realistically, it was, it was, that was the crown of ruler show. That team, I, 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 you'll have, you'll have a good laugh at this story because I didn't read the last, uh, sentence of the question which is am i too much of a pleb to understand he was an amazing talent the yeah. entire time so there you go, there you go. <laughs> maybe in the end the pleb was the friends who we made along the way exactly yes. <laughs> all right uh guys as far as the next show of si I'll be I'll be real with you. I don't really feel like doing an msi preview for these dog shit groups that are going to happen because I'm not going to go watch a bunch of Latin American games. I'm just not going to do it. So my ability to analog, like preview this properly is just going to come down. Parties for the big games, though. If it's like a big yes. marquee matchup. We, we, I, look, NA versus EU watch parties and groups are going to be fun. Yes. We will do some watch parties. Yes. I'm just saying I probably don't want to do an SI before MSI begins. Yes. And we'll I do. Story. It'll all be good. I do want to do an SI after the first round of groups previewing the Rumble stage, which will feature better games. And will also, I will have watched 
two of you know some of the minor region teams that are going to be going into the actual Rumble stage. So I will have a take on them. But I really, you know, I, that preview show will be worthless and boring. So I don't really see a need to do it. But we will do uh, a, a, an SI before the actual Rumble stage and then before the playoffs. Um, so we'll do we'll do a couple. Um, but yeah, that's it. That's it. Uh, so we'll see you guys whenever that happens. A couple weeks. We're going to take a break. Go watch CSGO. Goodbye. Subscribe to the channel.